Hello and welcome once again to the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitali, and we've got the whole crew here once again. Let me go through them. We have George Foster. Hello, everyone. Josh Torres. Release the Wrigley cut of this podcast. <laughs> I'll give you context later. Uh, Adam Vitali. Is this the full crew if we don't have Chow? That's a good question. We should, uh, we, should, we should bring him on more often, rope him into this. And we have James Galizio. Hey, folks. All right. So this is our second take with the opening of this podcast, because with the first take, my dog, who normally sleeps silently below my desk when we record these, decided to give out like a big, long sigh slash snort right when I started recording. <laughs> and I panicked. <laughs> <laughs> and we started. But you don't get to hear that because that would be too, too terrible. So sorry. Just imagine it in your head and we'll go from there. Looking at this week's uh, slate of podcast discussion topics, it seems like it's going to be another bit of a grab bag here. Obviously, we'll have a little bit of near carryover from last week, including a little bit talk of Automata. We'll bring that back into the discussion. Uh, some of us have had reasons to turn on our PlayStation 5s for the first time in a while. Disgusting. Yeah, terrible. Uh, I've got my PlayStation 5 hooked up, but I've never turned it on yet. So may maybe soon. Uh, and then we have a little bit of talk on the new Pokemon Snap, our first impressions on that. Uh, we will go in a random order. We will see who wants to talk first about something maybe that I listed or maybe that I didn't. Uh, take it away, one of you. Go. I want to hear about Poison Control from Adam. Okay, right. that's what I did. Yeah, yeah I want to hear about this. Okay, so uh, Adam put up a review for us this week. It's the only review from the last seven days about Anise, uh, Anise America localization of Poison Control. I hope I have that right. And uh, I guess I'll just let Adam talk about it, since it's a little bit of a surprise, just kind of randomly snuck in there. What is this little game? All right, so NIS America, they are a Japanese, or I should say Nipponichi Software. Uh, they're a Japanese developer, and in the last, let's just say, five years or so, but kind of throughout their history, they've always put out these, these sort of, you know, smaller scale, not really tied to a franchise games. Um, here and there, like last year, I reviewed and we talked about Void Terrarium, which was like a um, a mystery dungeon style of roguelike dungeon crawler, and um, Poison Control. Anyway, I do not remember its Japanese title. Is a is another game from Nipponichi Software that is how how do I explain it? So let's start let's start from the top. It's got like a kind of a stylized chibi ish anime art style. With it's kind of got this pink and red and purpley kind of uh, color tone, color aesthetic to it. And what the game actually is is a third-person shooter. It's like a simple third-person shooter. So imagine like trying to paint a picture here, like a camera placed behind behind your character. You kind of just straight around and shoot at different enemies that you see in these sort of dungeon environments. And we got a review code from uh, NIS America, obviously, who localized it. Um, but it just took us. It took me a little while to get around to the game, just because it's been crazy um, spring for RPGs, really. But honestly, the game is really thin, and I don't know if I can talk about it too much because there's honestly not a lot to the game. What's, and, the, what's like the premise? Like, what, like why yeah, are you doing the things that you do in that game? Right. So basically, at the very opening of this game, you wake up, and your character does, 
and you don't know where you are, and you soon learn that you are in a hell, and you meet right away immediately this sort of inkling-like girl, like, like literally like a Splatoon inkling, um, uh, named Poisonette. She seriously looks just like an inkling, basically. Even's got the same like hair tentacles, um, and sh she's basically like takes over your body, and you two, your main character and Poisonette, share a body, and basically you learn within like ten, fifteen minutes. Like, all right, in order to get out of hell, what we need to do is we need to go around these various circles of hell, like these sort of levels, basically that they are, and we need to clean out the poison, <laughs> that's why it's called poison control, okay. that are filling up these hells. And what these hells are like manifested from are the thoughts of girls, like sometimes they're alive, sometimes they're dead, it just varies, who for some reason or another have some sort of resentment in life. Um, sometimes it's, uh, sometimes it's like more serious, like a girl who couldn't basically accept that her dog passed away. And then there's another one that is like a girl who got like, who gets really, really, really upset at cedar trees because they give her uh, allergies. <laughs> I like so, that. <laughs> it, it, it sometimes gets, and there's like one that's about more like abuse and one about allergies. It, it, it's very, you know, some are serious and some are silly, you know, like that. <laughs> um, but so there's about 20 of these hells, uh, and they're basically your levels. And basically, where the problem run, where the problem lies in this game, I should just maybe skip to the end and say I scored it a four out of ten, so it's not very high. Is that you play the game, you kind of in your first level, you learn how to you know shoot your weapon, dodge the attacks. Uh, one key component to the gameplay in this is how you actually clear the poison in these levels. Is you switch control to Poisonet, and rather than doing the shooting third-person shooter part of the game. What she does is she makes like loops, like literally like drawing a loop, like running around a pool of poison. And if she makes a complete loop, it clears up. So really what the gameplay is like is that you're going around, you're shooting enemies, you're strafing, you're avoiding getting hit. And then you'll switch control. You'll hold the button, you switch control to poison it, who will basically run around. You, you can't do damage in this form. You're just dodging. Make a loop, clear poison, go back to your other character, your main character, and shoot some more. And that's kind of what you do for the next... I think the game is about 15 hours long, uh, 12 to 15, let's say. It doesn't have a counter. And the problem really is, is that every level plays exactly the same. Mm. And even the small, like, aesthetic variances are pretty minor. So it kind of, it's the type of game that gets old pretty fast. And there's not a lot of substance to things like, you know, characters or story either. It's just kind of this base, um, you know, premise like clearing out these hells and basically solving this resentment from these girls. There's, you know, there's some quirky jokes in there. There's actually, um, when you're going through each level, there's actually this pair of characters that you hear on the radio who make a bunch of like quirks and quips and things like that. And some of it is, you know, amusing and some of it is dumb, but it, it reminds me of like the Splatoon uh, radio host. I, it's, if oh, weirdly man. enough, this game feels like it has a Splatoon influence, even though it's like a completely like, different like, like someone like someone played Splatoon, really enjoyed it, and wanted to like really just take inspiration from it. Yeah. What you described at the start there seemed like it like that's like an interesting idea. The switching between a shooting gameplay and like the more movement based one. 
Uh, it, it, you do that and like within 10 minutes, you're that's basically all you do for the next 15 hours. And it's just um, the levels are kind of stale, kind of boring. Um, there's, it's even frustrating at times because there's some places and levels where enemies are infinite. So you kind of have to like kill them. Like you have to kind of clear them temporarily and then clear as much poison as you can and then clear out more enemies again. And you can never, you can never get rid of all of them in some cases. That's also, there's just, there's a lot of, uh, there's only like five different enemy designs throughout the game. So you're fighting like the same things over and over. There's only like three different boss designs and you fight like the first boss, like four different times and you fight the final boss twice. Who's the same boss. Um, so it just it feels like a game. It, how I reviewed it was it doesn't have a lot of substance. It's like there's like an idea, but the idea kind of gets old soon, and then it just doesn't have anything to like fill in the gaps. Like they so, have a good idea to build from, but then they don't build from it. They're just like that's that's enough. Just ship it. Like oh okay yeah right. <laughs> like it, I feel like it needed more in terms of like there's nothing else you're really doing in the game. Um, also, the the game was sort of billed as a RPG shooter, but the RPG elements to the game are very thin. Effectively, you do gain levels, like you do kill an enemy, gain EXP, and gain levels. But levels basically just raise your HP, and that's about it. Um, also, there are moments in the game where, and these come at predetermined points in like the storyline, where you where your main character talks to Poisonette, and based on a choice you make, you raise a stat. And there's five different stats. I don't remember them off the top of my head. It's like empathy and toxicity and something like that. And these when you raise these stats and they reach like the next quote level, it's still just mostly just like you you now do you now take less damage. Um, but there's not very many of those. So it's like very very loosely like yeah there's a there's like a stat system there that you do assign points to but it's just it happens occasionally not a lot and there's just not a lot to it and i feel like with that i've pretty much said everything there is to say about this game um so basically ran into the same issue reviewing it as talking about it on a podcast here basically like you you write or say a few things and you're like well that's pretty much it i'm done yeah (laughs) When I was writing this review, like I think I was around like 800 words or something, which is a pretty short review. I'm like, I, what else can I say? Like, there's not a whole lot to say about this game. It's, it's just there's not a lot there to talk about. Um, is it a is it a full sixty dollar release? Um, is it a full price game? I think it's a forty dollar game, so that might, you know, there's some justification there. But yeah, that's about all there is to it. I mean, the main kinda, story, kinda, I should say, I go for it. Yeah, if it, the main story kind of um, revolves around like Poisonette and why she is there, but it's still just kind of like uh, it's like it's not really a topic story. until until like the last like let's just say two hours, and then it sort of resolves itself quickly and like oh okay. And there, there's <laughs> not it's, from the from the way you're describing it, it doesn't sound like that things come full circle. Like in terms of like everything that you've been doing, it doesn't feel like it. No, uh, there's no sort of payoff or thematic payoff. Feels like no. And it's it just the the thing about these um the the thing about these girls' hells, which are called bells' hells, is the localization of it, which is you know a, a pun or whatever a rhyme. Sure. Fine. Um, <laughs> Yeah, 
the, the there's like some like i said there's some serious topics mixed into there but the thing is these levels go by pretty quickly like within some of the earlier levels are like you know 10 minutes long not that long and so like any of these serious topics that m might be worth like some genuine investigation or commentary on they're just like in and out you know there's it, there's no depth to anything so so that's like the weird thing right like i i when you describe like for a game like say like death and request like i would rather it be less on gameplay and more the visual novel aspect of that game because the like the story bits of that game are like genuinely interesting but it sucks whenever they have to like actually play the game because when i played through that game it felt like really slow and sluggish and battle just felt you know way too long for what they were worth and i was like i always wanted to get to the next story beat section so there's one of those games that like i can i can see the appeal of like some games being scaling back on gameplay for more story but it seems like even in this case like neither end of that but the really problem is the other the problem is is that the story has to be good yeah so that, and the thing is, it's not necessarily that the story is like poor. It's not like badly written. There's just not really one. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's really, has to say. yeah, I think it's really cool that like you know Nice America is so like pushing like very like just brand new titles out left and right. Like you know, like they they don't really rely on sequels all too much outside of this guy these days. So like it's cool to see like new ideas brought up front, but it seems like a lot of them don't really pan out or, or don't really like shine like the like what their initial potential could bring to the table. Like uh, we we saw that like um was it the Mad Rat Dead rhythm game like that seemed really cool like that was like one of the ones that that seemed to and, stand I, and I thought Void Terrarium last year was pretty you know was it wasn't it, I gave it a seven out of ten it's like it's 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 good not great but you know I yeah, appreciate that, uh... that it's trying something new. Is the liar and the prince them too? I think, was it? There's the liar and the blind prince, and then there's a new one that's like the splendid hero, and um, I don't remember, but it's like and in then, a similar like category. Yeah, they also had like the penny punching princess. I think. Yeah, there's a whole bunch, but I, I, the the one that always sticks out in my mind is the one that didn't get localized because it was so poorly received in Japan. Was that post apocalyptic? One that uh, focused on like these uh like high school girls surviving this post apocalypse. It was like a survival game, I think. And uh, I that, that's like the, that the that's like the I forgot the name of it. That, that, that was like the sole one out of those like experimental titles from them that like didn't get localized. It was just so poorly received domestically, I think. Mm -hmm. So with that, I guess we'll move on from poison control. Do go ahead and give the review a read through if you're morbidly curious. It sounds like though, if you're interested in a Nice America brought over an interesting idea of a new game. Like, go back and look at Void Terrarium from last year. It seems like uh kind of hit the hit the hit its marks a little bit better than Poison Control did. Uh, so I would contribute a little bit to this front the front end of this discussion here, but uh, I have kind of bounced between two games that I've already talked about on the podcast. Uh, between Near Replicant from last week and saga frontier i have returned to the remaster to play through some of the other characters and i do want to talk a little bit about both these games uh, but just a little and the reason for that is because in near replicant um i am getting close to what i know is like the first set of credits uh because I, I just know from having played tamada onomata that that's not the end of the game obviously and it's not really a spoiler to know that um but i'm actually taking it like really slow for a really dumb reason 
So the game has a lot of side quests, and a lot of them are pretty tedious. Like they involve fetch quests or running from place to place, fishing, or in one particular case, a certain NPC wants you to get a certain type of seeds from your garden, which you can like, uh, which is like its own mini game of itself. So I've been working through those things, and they take a lot of time, especially the gardening part, because it runs off the real world clock. And I'm either too dumb, stubborn, or principled to like cheat the clock. So I've been like, my near experience this week has been to like log in before work, check my plants, water them, get rid of the wilted flowers if they're up, replant, log in after work and like see see the progress, check before bed. It's it's almost like an Animal Crossing type experience. Like and I'm like I'm sitting there with the story like really saying like you got to do this thing. And I'm like no, I'm waiting, I'm waiting to get the pink moonflower from my garden or whatever. So I actually haven't played a whole lot, like made a whole lot of actual progress because I'm stubborn or dumb. Uh, yeah, I imagine it's like your game's like we get we gotta go do go to the final place and uh, settle this once and for all. And uh, your main character is like, oh, one moment, please. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, it's, the, the thing is, is that it's like you have to fertilize every spot by itself. You have to then click every single thing and like plant the seeds one by one and then water them one by one. It's very like laborious, but it almost makes you like respect it more. Like I put time into this, man. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna cheat this out. True. Like, I'm more rewarding, right? So, uh, so if you're cheating that, out there, listener, shame <laughs> on you. <laughs> so I've, uh, I filled the gaps. So I guess, uh, uh, I will return with more thoughts on Nier next week when maybe I'm over this weird side quest gardening hump. <laughs> when I actually like get into like when the story really like twists and turns on itself, supposedly. I don't know what happens. Uh, so I've been filling the gaps by returning to Saga Frontier. Uh, I had played through one of the storylines, the Amelia storyline, and that was kind of like my taste. And then as other games released, I had kind of put it on the back burner. But then I as I was waiting for my damn flowers to wilt, because they take forever, <laughs> Uh, I was like, let me go back into Saga and play through a few of the other characters. So I played through Red, and I played through Ricky, the monster boy character. Um, and my main takeaway is that I could not imagine being diligent enough to play through multiple characters when this game first released, because I am super thankful that New Game Plus is as generous as it is alongside the fact of like the key quality of life of being able to run from battles because I log, I log into my red file. I have mostly new characters, so they're all like weak and have to be powered up because even on new game plus I have never used them. So they're not, they don't have any carryover stats, but then you start to flesh into the world again and grab some of the characters you had before who bring over all their gear and all their stats that they had. So, so it's kind of like giving you like a crutch, like, okay, you've already been through the grind. Let's give you a little bit of a leg up. And I'm super thankful for that. Or, and then if you're doing quests that are very similar to what something you've already done, you, you can kind of run from battle and make it a lot more brief for yourself. And there it's basically, this, this might sound like an unearned comparison, but I'll try to substantiate it. In a way, it is kind of like doing multiple runs of at least what Nier Automata showed to me, where you play through the same story bits, but there's a little bit of different dialogue. You have different characters present. The, the framing of all the different events is slightly different. And with that, like I've already seen like, oh, Ricky can actually fully explore this place and he's got different stuff to do here. Or with Red actually goes to this different place at the very end of his story once, he, once you've seen the familiar stuff. And I'm just, it's, 
it's it's enough for me to actually want to keep playing as more characters, but only because I know I don't have to go through that grind from level one again, and I can run from battle if I want to. If I was yeah. playing the original version of this game, I don't know if I would have been diligent enough to be like, this is enough. It's an interesting approach, right? Because the like with Saga Frontier Remastered, like their approach is like, hey, you can like actually feel like you know you can beat like the entire game like within you know a certain amount of time, like within a few weeks, few days, whatever. With all this, uh, you know, new game plus stuff that's super handy. When like I feel like the original release of Saga Frontier back then was like on the PS One, like it was more. It it felt at least to me uh, as a kid, it felt to me more like as a as a game that had like multiple games in it uh, essentially so like you do a route in it and then you like, put it down for a few months it's like you know what i want to play this game again but i want to start you know doing a different route so like it felt like a new game uh, sort of every time so it's not meant to be like marathoned or consumed so rapidly that, that's how i thought uh, how i thought of it um, i 100 percent agree i recently played through um minstrel song which is mm-hmm. the uh, ps2 remake of right. romancing saga one and it's it feels similar to that, um, in that it, it it actually kind of feels like the tabletop roots are starting to come through here. And that in terms of like when you have like a tabletop game, there's different campaigns in that, and they're not going to be the same obviously each time you play through it. Um, and obviously there's like a there can be dungeon masters and whatnot, so that's whatever. But um, right, it's like there's different characters and different like stories within the same game. And in your sense, almost feels it makes it feel like different games rather than you know different like routes that you have to marathon through. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, that's essentially what I was getting towards too. It's like it's an interesting, different approach on like what remasters do to the original source material, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just the the way they're uh, perceived now versus back then. Yeah, I almost feel like silly or shallow to think this, but there are some times where I'm running through like one of the rune quests, which is kind of like, as far as I can tell, mostly common to all the playthroughs. And I'm running from enemies and there's like six in one room and I'm getting like aggravated or annoyed that I have to, even though it's instant to run away, that I have to do that six times to travel through a room. And I'm like, man, imagine if I had to like actually fight all of these. And at this point, like my characters are really strong or I don't know if that would be the case on the original version of the game, but like I, I could see like why people bounced off this hard originally. Um, like I appreciate the, the like the style of storytelling, kind of like how the brevity of the narration and the dialogue. There's really not a whole lot to it. It's just enough to set the table, and that's that. It doesn't really like indulge in itself. But it just I I'm I'm like kind of frustrated like when I'm going through this the little caverns underneath Kurung, and it's just like littered with enemy mobs, and you you like it's not random battles technically. It's not like the glass shatters and you're thrust into a, a battle whenever you don't want to, but it's almost feels like it might as well be because there's just like a, a swarm mass of enemy sprites and there's no way you're going to get through without running into them and i'm just like oh time to run away from five battles in a row because i'm not interested in this and like uh-huh, and i have the i have the easy way out and people 15 years ago didn't so it's yeah in some cases like it like it might be even like if you're not being uh wary about your surroundings in the, in the remastered version like things will just sneak up on you with like the uh, the speed up it's like oh enemies travel faster towards you if you speed things up uh towards you while ba- uh, back then it's like it's like you have to be really cautious about like enemy mobs you didn't want to encounter because we don't we don't have the flea option back then we can't we couldn't run away from battles so you have to like really plan out like hey i entered a room 
I see all these enemies, like how am I gonna kind of tiptoe my way around them? Because I, if I get into a battle, it might be fatal at this point. Especially when uh, uh, one thing that that maybe I haven't hit home is like it's not just you're getting into more battles and you have to fight them, but you have a limited resource of weapon points and spell points that you're going to start exhausting, and it's going to make your final encounter more difficult. Or either that, or you're going to have to like go through these battles using very basic punch and swing attacks because you don't want to expend those. So like being able to flee kind of helps you and it pays dividends because then you go into the final battle with more more in your arsenal ready to go. It sounds like such a like Brian, appreciate what you have that you can that you can run back um, in the I, day. Um, back in my can day, I make you a couldn't. comment here. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. I, I, I'm like I'm like I, I like wincing. Like, uh oh, is that I'm going to chew me out? But <laughs> oh, I'm just, all I'm going to say is that like I literally say these exact same things with the exact same words that you do. Like literally word for word verbatim. Okay, I'm joking. Not actually verbatim, but I basically say this exact same thing in my review. Like literally. Mm-hmm. I, the running from battles i can't believe you couldn't do this in the original um it's almost annoying that, you, that even though you can run from battles that you have to like there's just so many enemies but also you can run from battles from in literally in a dungeon you just run from every single battle like literally run from all of them just to get to the boss with your full wp and item set and whatnot so just saying i i, I did mention every single one of these components yeah and i've mentioned a few times when we've been streaming this casually just like in our little discord share or whatever them like this game could have easily and been okay for it just taken going gone through every map combed it out and just take half of the enemy sprites and just pluck them out of there just just remove them i feel like this game still would have been like the same idea same gameplay same flow just not littered with bodies of sprites that you have to avoid <laughs> I, feel, I feel like I, it doesn't like, gain uh, anything from it <laughs> i feel like within the next like either few months or in a year or so or whatever like chow and i are going to be like uh, having the same conversation with you guys of the unlimited saga whenever they make a remaster of that uh, it's like oh man you you should have seen this game back in the day <laughs> well i don't i don't want to keep harping on that one specific thing because i have really enjoyed seeing how things and have been and kind of been like how do I say this? Like I, I expect going into Red's route that there's going to be additional lines of, lines of dialogue or different characters will be present. Like that's sort of one thing that I expect. But then it actually hit me a few ways that I didn't expect it at all. Like I go into I believe Shingro and I do like Red's event there, and then it turns out like spoiler for 15, 15 year old game, twenty year old game that <laughs> at the end of the events there, like the main palace blows up and you can't go back. And I'm like, wait a minute, I wasn't expecting that because that doesn't happen anywhere close to uh in any of the other routes so like it, like they're like i go into each play file expecting this and then there are ways that it keeps like it keeps enough hidden away unexpected that keeps me wanting to keep going so i as soon as i finished ricky's route i went ahead and immediately started a blue playthrough which i haven't really gotten that far in yet but i'm already enjoying how he when he speaks to different npcs he's like very full of himself and like I met I met the, I met another one of the protagonists, Amelia, and he like he has like a parenthetical where he's like, "This person looks stupid" <laughs> or something like that. Uh, or Ricky is more like really affable and friendly to everyone, so it is kind of interesting to see that little aspect play through as well. So uh, I'm glad that I was able to use my gap in my near gardening waiting saga to go and play some actual saga <laughs> saga frontier. Uh, so I've I'm, I've enjoyed just continuing to go back to that this week. All right, let's talk about a new release. Only, I don't know whether I should talk about this PS5 game or Pokemon Snap. Whatever you want. Do we have any takers? 
Ah, oh, I get to decide. Uh, let's All see right, Returnal. George decided. Okay. Oh. George, first, <laughs> George decided Snap first. Like, a, yeah. Like, Pokemon Snap. New Pokemon. All right. So, so a few of us, it looks like, have put a little bit of time into the recently released new Pokemon Snap, which is not an RPG as far as I know, but it's based on an RPG properties. So we've been covering it and we're going to talk about it. Uh, I don't know oh. who's put in the most time or who's got the most I questions. Imagine James. On. Yeah. If, if I'm, yeah. <laughs> So, Go quick question to uh, George: Did you play the original or no? I did not. No, I always like. Oh, okay. Were you born when the original came out? No, I don't think I was alive. <laughs> Let me check. Okay. Let me check. <laughs> oh shit! Uh, how's Pokemon Snap Dreams? Um, it came out when I was born, like the same year. So yeah, yeah I don't think. Great. Uh, amazing! Amazing! Um. So I think my opinion on the game actually actually might be a little bit different from George's because uh, I saw all of these reviews for the new one and I was excited because people were saying, oh, it's just a better version of the original Pokemon Snap. I'm not feeling it right now, like oh, at really? all. Whoa. Because one of the things that I loved about the original Pokemon Snap is that it was basically a puzzle game and that you had to do specific things to get to the situation where it's like okay now i can take this picture of this pokemon or hey now here's one of the legendary birds and i can take a picture and there's some of that but it's been toned down significantly uh, like the oh and, man that, that seems i i feel a little uh sad hearing that I remember the puzzle yeah. stuff i remember there was a lot of cool stuff you had to do in the original game like you had to like throw apples to lead pokemon in one direction or another to like get them to interact with another or if you threw rocks, or I don't know if you had rocks, but yeah, was it just apples? Uh, there's apples, and then there's uh, pester balls. Oh, that's, that's what it was. But I remember you you would have to like different Pokemon. You would in the original, you'd have to like lead them in certain directions, or hit them even, or or do certain things with them in order for them to a have like a certain pose that would score well, or b sometimes draw out another Pokemon, or c sometimes even evolve. Yeah, so and basically so there was a puzzle element for sure. Yeah, be before yeah. before we continue on, like I just want to clarify for people who don't know Pokemon Snap at all. Like that this game is basically a photography game where your uh, trainer is put into like a cart and it's kind of sort of like a rail shooter where you can like move around the screen with your uh for, like camera reticle and then you take around uh taking pictures of uh Pokemon uh, and their natural habitat and you can sometimes influence their actions by like items that you have essentially. So What's the best way to put this? Um, for a game that has arguably less interactivity than the original back in uh, 1999, the, there's a hell of a lot more padding this time, too. Now, yeah. I will say this. There are more areas for you to explore. And like each area has an, a daytime and a nighttime variant, and those are pretty different. And then as you level up your Explorer rank, you get different Pokemon showing up in each of these areas and it allows for more interactivity and replays. But the first time you go to any of the areas, it's going to be boring as hell because there's barely anything there for the nighttime stages. You won't have an Illumina ball yet, which is your main means of interactivity in this game. And there's no button that lets you just speed up and go through the stage quicker. Like in the first one, Oh, weird. <laughs> I thought that would be like the one of the things they would keep. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so 
there is no evolving Pokemon. You cannot do anything in the stage to get Pokemon to evolve. That's a there, there are instances where Pokemon will interact based off of what you do. Like um, in one in the first stage, if you throw an if you fr uh, throw a fluff fruit, which is they literally just say, "Oh, it's like an apple, but fluffier," um, to a certain spot, and a Molga will fly down, zap, and start eating. And there's stuff like that. There's small interactivities like that, but there's nothing like those big chains of interactions that you have to keep up in order to get to a, a, a secret. Like there's one or two of those based off of what I'm reading online with uh, certain legendary Pokemon, but like every stage in the first one had stuff like that. Every stage. And part of me is um, just being trying to be careful. I'm not saying you have it wrong, but I'm trying to remember like, is there is there some nostalgia playing a play here? Like, are the are the puzzles in the original game? Like, I almost want to revisit it to make sure that I have like a fair comparison. Like, how involved were they? Were they, you know, well, what they I mean? weren't very involved in the first place. I'm not disagreeing with that. It's but that just makes the fact that these are even less involved all the more glaring. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, there's more Pokemon to capture photos of. There are like cute poses they do and. Things do get better once you level up these areas to their max level. But doing that, you're going to have to keep rerunning these levels like at least like six or seven times just to get them to the max explorer rank. So you have a chance to play the levels as they would have been in the original Pokemon Snap. It's like I guess I don't explain this explorer rank to me more. I don't think I get it. So basically, every time you go, you enter a new stage you start off at explorer rank one which means there's going to be less pokemon in it there's going to be less interactivity and the way it's framed is is that the more that you um explore these areas the more the pokemon feel comfortable with showing themselves and that makes sense on paper but the problem is is that especially like the first time you go through a stage it's going to be very slow paced there isn't much you can do besides just take pictures of Pokemon that are already there. There might be one or two things you can do that's a bit more interactive than that, but nothing close to how things were in the original. And even then, there was like backtracking once you got access to your like power ups, like the uh, flutes and the pester balls and the apples and all that. But it's annoying because it's fine to have players replay each stage, but I don't think they necessarily needed stuff like the Explorer rank in this game when you already would be going back to these other stages when you get, got access to new abilities. Because there's way more stages in this one than the first game. Like, there's, I believe there's like 10 different locations and there's like nighttime variants for each of them and some of them have like luminous spots too. So there's a ton more stages. But... The game still asks you to replay each of them more than you would have replayed each stage in the original. And combined with the fact that you can't speed things up, it just gets really old really quickly. That, I do remember in the original game, you would replay stages to try to get that perfect image, that perfect photo, right? Like you would, you would complete one of these puzzles to get you know, the slow bro or whatever. Show up or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Or just to appear. And then you would take some pictures and hope you got the great, a great one. And then if it wasn't like, if you didn't get the best score on it, like, all right, I'm going to do that again. And you might do that a couple of times, but like you said, you could like speed through the parts of the level that don't really matter for that. Not maybe to mention, that image you were trying to get. 
So not, you did try to play them a few times in the original, but not there was no like rank or anything at all. Yeah. So while like from what I understand, if I understand, it's like like it, like let's take the original for example. Like that slow, like say that slowpoke won't even appear in Explorer rank one. It would only appear like Explorer rank four or something. Well, so the max is three, but yeah. Okay, okay. Explorer, it only appears like at Explorer rank two, and then like you're like, okay, but can, can I? You start to like go bottle through like the initial exploration grind, and then with no speed up, you have to wait there. It feels like they they kind of like added like a progression system where it really didn't. Feels, it feels like it didn't need one, or something like it really didn't need one. Especially like I liked it in the original back on the N sixty four. Like when I entered a new stage, and that's like, wow, there's so many things going on. I can't wait to go revisit this again and take a, a, like a better look at like the things that are happening around me. It's not like it, it wasn't the game saying, oh, you're not ready to like see all this yet uh, or whatnot. It's like, oh, I actually have like a like a desire to see like like process everything that's going on in this level. Not to mention, and this is a pretty major thing that I honestly didn't see anyone talking about, but in the original game, some of the areas that you could explore, you had to unlock by doing interactions with Pokemon in the environment. Like you had to have the Electrode blow up this uh, cave wall in order to access this one cave area and stuff like that. You don't really have any of that in new Pokemon Snap. Whenever... The only way you unlock new areas is by raising your explorer rank for specific areas to two. We'll usually unlock the nighttime variant and then you... Okay, so here's something that's especially annoying. The daytime and nighttime versions of stages have different explorer ranks. So if you... <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Yeah, so... Basically, if you want to actually see everything, you have to replay every level daytime and nighttime like four or five times just to get to explore rank uh, explore rank three and all of them and i think it would take more than four or five times just to get from level two to level three so it's i i'm still having a good time but there's a reason why i only put about well i say only four and a half hours into it so far but i've already played more more uh, returnal than that but uh what do you think george i feel like i've been like just not really shitting on new pokemon snap but i've been really negative but george, i do yeah, yeah, no, yeah, want to hear it like... we, need po- we need positive aspects george we're all boomers here for pokemon snap <laughs> we well, well now i feel like my opinions like you've got james no. who's master and now i'm like i <laughs> mine feels dumb by comparison mm-hmm. but like I kind of just like looking at the Pokemon. That's entirely valid, honestly. Like that's the whole reason the first game like had the cult following that it did. But I, I messaged CD earlier, like maybe even like a couple of hours ago. I was like, that's I just kind of like Alexi House, Nintendo Insider, yeah. Uh, and I just kind of like throwing apples at the Pokemon. Like that's, that just makes me laugh. <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> hearing hearing James, like yeah, this like they've it's lost its complexity. I'm like. Apple doink photo. <laughs> so I, I am legitimately like grinning ear to ear because I love hearing this sort of stuff. Like sometimes you just gotta remember, like, are you having fun? Like, let's not. That's probably how most people play it, George. That's good. It's, but I, I think everything James said is very valid, and I'm, I'm like maybe three or four hours in, so like I'm, I've still got like quite a lot left. To I'm already at the point where I'm like, uh, I wish I could speed up some of these bits and. Do I really have to do this like thing twice in a row? Like I don't really want to do it twice in a row. Like 
I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's addicting. It's very addicting. Like I, I'm already like, I just wish I had all the stages just so I could go through them, but it just kind of, it holds them out for you. It's like, okay, come on, keep doing photos, keep doing photos. And it's, it's fine. But I feel like I'm a lot of the time taking photos of the same stuff just to get the points and like maybe they're better, maybe they're not. Okay, how's um, the evaluation? Because back then on the N64, you want to know, but you took a photo and you're like, man, this looks amazing. And Professor Oak was like, nah, dude, that's like out of <laughs> focus, out of the center. But I'm like, but Oak, it looks really good. So how do they evaluate uh, things? Okay, so they've made it much more clear about what goes into uh, rating a photo. So there's like different categories, like the size, the center of the frame, what like the pose, whether they're facing towards you, and even if there's like more than one Pokemon in the frame. And this is actually one of the really cool things about the game. As negative as I am, there are some really really cool aspects of it. So for each Pokemon, there's four different types of poses they can be in, or four different like levels of poses they can be in. A one-star pose, a two-star pose, a three-star pose, and a four-star pose. And in your photo um, album, you can have one photo per pose per Pokemon. So you can have four photos for each Pokemon, and each of the different types of poses have their own specific rankings. So the way the star rankings work is that you have bronze, silver, gold, and diamond. And so even... Even if you've gotten a perfect like photo, like a four-star diamond photo for a Pokemon, there's still reasons to go back and replay stages because it's like, well, I can try and get a diamond pose for the one or a diamond photo for the one star like pose or the two star, three star. And it does give you more reason to go back and um take those photos. I'm not sure if that was added because they realized, oh shit, we're having people replay these stages so much. We need to have more reasons for them to want to focus while they're replaying these um, these uh, sections or not. That might be reaching, but it does add a bit more to it, and it does make it so that um, there's once you've gotten the perfect photo, photo, there's still reasons to keep uh, trying for it because you got to get four perfect photos. Pokemon. <laughs> pretty I nice. can't. I, I can't see myself uh, staying with it like too long. Like it's fun. It is really fun. But like once I've done all the levels, I'll. All yeah, I gotta say I'll, I'll is, is that I don't know how your like coworker CN managed to do the crazy shit he did over at the game. Oh my George. god! Yeah, he he put in he, hours of, upon hours. Like right when the servers went live, he was literally number one in the world on the leaderboards for like number of photo points and on both categories. Yeah. Shout, shout out to Ken Cause he's, he's been busting his ass. So if you're looking for guides go that way, but I don't know. It's, I, I wasn't expecting much from it, to be honest, like my expectations and James expectations, like were definitely different going in. Pokemon means a lot more to James, but for me, like I'm not even a massive like mainline fan. I kind of prefer like, I kind of just prefer the Pokemon themselves, which is what I like about it. Um, and to be honest, it reminds me a lot of a like a Disney World theme park ride. Like that, like it, I get such crazy vibes for that. Like it feels like the sort of thing we'd sit. It would be perfect for like a Nintendo World sort of thing. You know, like sit in like an actual uh, what's it called a one Neo One? Was it called James? 
you sit in like the thing and then you go around like photographing like animatronic Pokemon. That'd be so cool. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe um, I have a different expectation for it. With that, maybe I guess we'll move on to hopefully a game that we're all feeling better about. Uh, how do we feel about? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like we've we've gone through poison control. We've gone oh through a, a little bit of saga where I talk about all the things that frustrated with me with it, and now we've gone through Pokemon Snap where it's like eh, it's fun but simple. Uh, so uh, let's see what we think about Returnal, which is not yes. an RPG, not really. But I know that a lot of us, three of us at least, have booted up our PS5s to start playing through that. I don't know. So... Returnal 64 was, I think, a better game, to be honest. <laughs> uh, okay, so now, so now you've just like poisoned the well. Like, now, we're, <laughs> now we're already starting this off on a negative, on a negative beat. Way to go! All right. Yeah. So tell me about Returnal, Josh. Um, Returnal is the new game from uh, the, the fine folks at Housemark. Um, they were the ones who did Resogun, who did uh, Next Machina, Super Stardust HD. Uh, I, re- I really love all their games. They're, they're like arcade games. I, I don't know if they ever released or put into public consumption that weird Battle Royale thing that they were working on a few years back that didn't really pan out. But in general, I, I like the, the th- things that they put out. So Resogun is like kind of their um, pivot away from their more uh, arcade titles. Um, this is like kind of like a full budget, uh, full seventy dollar PS5 exclusive game. Uh, definitely AAA uh, budget behind it, and it's like a, a, a roguelike run based um, third person shooter that uh, really takes on like a lot of sci fi tropes, like you know Alien uh, and all that sort of vibes. Like the whole uh, premise behind it is that you play this uh expl- i guess space explorer or astronaut uh Celine who crash lands on this uh planet this, this mysterious planet uh, fi- uh following this mysterious uh signal called the white shadow and that, that's kind of all i know uh, of the moment of that and then like you know when she crash lands on this planet i think it's called helios i forgot what it was actually called um is that right was that the planet yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Um, and so you get out of this ship, and it's kind of like the you have like your, your typical first tutorial run, uh, run you through the controls and whatnot, and like all the enemies. And the, the thing about this game is that since it's a PS5 exclusive, not only does it look really great, sound really great, like perform really great, um, it makes use of uh, the, the, tri- the, the dual sense, the, the haptic triggers, the vibration. And whatnot, so it's a very fast-paced, almost arcade-like game, like you expect from them. Instead of like kind of like their, their top-down view or isometric views, kind of like Super Stardust and Next Machina, and then they had the side-scroll view like Resogun. Instead of doing that, it's a uh, over-the-shoulder, and it kind of reminds me of uh, most like Next Machina if you were to uh, have a different camera angle on that on the action, so it's behind the back. And so when you're fi- facing against like these uh, alien creatures, they fire like these uh, uh, bullets at you. It's kind of presented almost like a bullet hell, where it's kind of uh, fire like these firing spheres, these like bullets coming at you, either in various speeds, some of them very fast, some of them pretty slow. And you either you dodge around them with this dash uh, mechanic that it has, and that dash is fully invincible, so you can actually dash towards these bullets, and you'd be fully invincible until the end. Uh, the end of it and the the cooldown of it is fairly fast, but it's not it's not so the not so much that you can spam it and whatnot. 
Uh, they stole so the I, idea from Nier of bullet hell <laughs> orbs attacking you. Uh, I'm not going to say that. Nier wasn't the first one to do that. <laughs> but it, it is very reminiscent of, of what uh, players of, uh, you know, both Nier games could come to expect. It's like the, the way that, you know, projectiles fire at you. Uh, so the the way you navigate through these levels is like uh, through these uh, narrow corridors, and uh, you, you go from like a corridor to corridor, finding like keys, uh, artifacts, and like uh, ways to progress through the level. Like you know, open up this door with this key that you found at this passageway until you get to the end boss. I haven't beaten the first boss yet, so I don't know exactly how that pans out. But I assume you go to another area straight yeah. after that. And it's really cool how they uh, present the exploration uh, because you have this 3d map uh like uh by your side this mini map and like you can get a more fully detailed map when you go to the main menu screen it's it's very metroid prime-esque in that in that presentation uh in that way it's like it's like a hologram uh and it's uh it's very easy to like parse like uh, at first glance i think the only thing that's really difficult about it is when there are like pickups at like uh, different elevations that like you're trying to find on your mini map and then, like you go to your detailed map, it's like, is it below me or above me? So I, th- I think that's the only uh, thing that I have trouble with. Maybe it's because I haven't really put that many hours into it yet to really like get comfortable with that. But I do. What I do like about this uh, map screen and the way they kind of guide you through the level is they're really good about uh, communicating with the players. Like, hey, this is where you need to go to like to get to like a, a thing that'll progress through the level versus something that's like just a side optional area that might have like goodies. Uh, for you and that's like through the shape of the corridors reflected on that map screen so for optional areas they're like a triangle corridor a blue triangle corridor it's like okay i want to go explore for a bit off the beaten path or off the main path and so i'm going to go through this corridor this triangle corridor uh, on the mini map Uh, meanwhile like the main ones the main areas that you have to reach are like highlighted like a light blue uh, rectangular shaped corridors on that mini map so it's really good at communicating with you like Hey, this is what you where you need to go, and where you can just choose to like go instead, like for a little bit and see what it has over there. Um, unlike uh, previous Housemark titles that were really, you know, not didn't really have much story or very were very very light on story. This has to, this one is focusing more on a narrative element. Uh, obviously, like uh, there's a whole mystery behind like the time loops that Celine is going through because every time you die, um, not only do you like reset your progress from the very beginning. Um, you see like these flashbacks of like this weird astronaut figure, the fields, and like a home, and you know, so uh, I presumably tied to like uh, Celine's past or or like memories going on. And, I can't believe that this game has PT in it. Yeah, like oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like early in the first level, like I was exploring around, and you come across this house, and I'm like, okay, that's weird. That's very out of place during like this alien environment, which is like very dark very you know like alien aesthetic wise so and then like you just have like this weird two-story house like in the middle of everything it's like um okay i approach it like it's locked i'm like uh, okay maybe we'll we'll see we'll try to find this key so i find the house key later on in the level and uh what it does in this game to like uh, present narrative is it scales it, it changes camera perspectives from the third person view to a first person view so you enter that house and you know it's a narrative segment because you're now exploring it in first person and all you know, that that that's weird because that's Celine's house. It has her, her photos in it. There are some weird sounds going on in there, and then like you know that you not there's not much interactivity outside of like hey you're walking around you're looking at these like 
things that's in her house and by the end of it you wake up outside the house again and you have like this weird astronaut figurine i'm like oh that's weird i don't know what the hell that is but i guess i have it now and then i figured out what that figurine does later um but i won't spoil that oh um, yeah yeah that happened yeah. to me as well i was like yeah. yes <laughs> yeah yeah i was like oh okay that's that's cool uh but you know the the it, it still uh nails what house mark is really good at which is very responsive controls very high octane action that like flows really well so as you're shooting uh you know enemies with uh either your handgun or a shotgun or a rifle that you pick up um like you technically you don't have a bullet counter like you're not you don't have you're not limited by ammo they're like all energy shots but it does the gears of war active reload thing where every time you expend your magazine uh you'll go, go into this reload animation and then you can speed that up when you press the reload a button within like the rectangular uh bar that it presents and this sort of like an instant reload so that's pre- pretty cool um and you know, I, I think James will, will really go into like the the controller feedback of this game because he has a lot of praise for it uh, from what we've been talking about it. But it's uh for for me so far, I've only like maybe two to three hours into it. But it's it seems pretty cool so far. I, I really dig it. I think the only thing that's kind of a weird conceit with this game is that at the very beginning when you start up the game, you are notified that hey, since it's a run-based game, there's no suspense save, there's no auto-save, and if you like close out of this application at any time, it'll just reset your progress, and you have to do a new, fresh run from the back. If you, wanna, if you want to like suspend your progress or pause your progress, you have to... It specifically says on that note, please use the PS5's rest mode feature for that. And I'm like... And I've read a few reports of people just hard crashing, so they're, they're resetting whether they want to or not. Right, and that's a, that's it's that's yeah. that's big. That's a big deal. Like, hopefully, that gets ironed out too. But yeah, like you know, a, a lot of, there's a lot of really promising things behind it. But I really want to hear James about this controller stuff because I've been kind of coy on it, and I know James wants to talk about it. The most next gen thing I've experienced with the PS5 is the way that the adaptive triggers work for the Alt Fire and Returnal. Yeah, and uh, and the, can you the, can you try to explain it to someone who's not played it? <laughs> I don't yeah. know if that's possible. Yeah. So, so you know how the GameCube controller had like the kind of click at the end, uh, if you and then that worked as a separate like button press, and the Steam controller also has a similar deal. Uh, basically, there's that with the adaptive trigger on the uh, PlayStation Five, and well, it can be like that on the PlayStation Five, and that's what Returnal does, where there's two levels of resistance. There's basically like a stopper in the middle of the trigger pull. And if you pull all the way, that'll activate your alt fire. But if you pull only halfway and there's that little bit of tension to let you know, oh, stop pulling, that's how you just aim down sights. And it takes a little bit to get used to, like the first couple of like uh, like 15, 20 minutes. But eventually you do get used to it. And it's like really, really cool the way that it's just utilized in the game. Yeah, it's like so. For example, like you have this uh, start starting handgun, and then yeah, when you're aiming when you're aiming down the sights, like just halfway, like you like James mentioned, you'll have that little like resistance saying, okay, like you know, you're just aiming normally. You pull it all the all the way. You're still aimed down, but then now there's like this strange glow on your on your handgun, and then when you fire, when you're ready to fire, like it'll like instead of like uh, your standard energy shots coming out of it and like do like a multi-projectile shot like three or four like little sparks come out of it it's kind of like a jehuti's like uh, in zone of the enders like a fire where like it fires omnidirectional lasers from its like fist it's kind of like that um 
it's 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 pretty cool. It's a it's a really inventive like way to go about like you know freeing up other buttons. Uh, yeah, I was actually gonna say like it sounds like something before that would have to be like a toggle or two button presses or something can now all be handled by like this specific technology. I, I want to hear. I want to hear your experience, uh, George. How are you liking Returnal? So I've only put in about two hours now, maybe two and a half. Um, and I've beaten the first like proper boss, but like skin of my teeth beat them. Like I was literally like, it was like a fist in air moment. Like yes, just yeah. On my, on my, yeah, on my second run, I like I took out a life bar of that first boss, and then and then it started changing up its attack bars. Like oh, oh, it's hard. Yeah, it's yeah, like it gets difficult. Yeah, I'm already. I'm like anxious. I'm like, oh my god, if it's this hard, like one level in, <laughs> is it going to get worse? Uh, but I'm loving it. Like I'm, I'm really, really enjoying it. Um. I still wouldn't say like it makes good use of like everything that the PS5 does, but I, I'm still not at the point personally. Um, maybe I just have high expectations, but I'm not like, oh, okay, this is next gen. I'm still at the point where I'm like, this is really impressive, especially the controller stuff. That it, that is next gen, but like I don't look at Return and go, okay, this is why I bought a PS5. Um, right, right. But but that's like that's that's just an expectation thing, right? Um, yeah. But I am. It, I, we used to say, didn't we? Like we've had on the podcast before we've all been like oh 70 70 60 pounds for this thing i'm like i still, no, I still don't I, know. I, yeah i still don't know if it's worth 70 dollars for me personally like you know like a, <laughs> like a brian and adam were watching me last night and, and george i mean george uh, james a little bit me of me playing returnal uh and like by the time i was like done with it like after the, a, a few runs like i think either brian or adam asked me is like do you feel like you've gotten your seventy dollars worth out of it yet? I'm like, <laughs> no, I feel like I got. I'm like six dollars in so far. <laughs> like uh, that, that's what I'm feeling like. So who who knows? Well, we'll let's see if we can raise that number. But like, it, it's very impressive. It's just I haven't got a lot of time time to play with it yet. It's and and like you were saying, George, um, like I, the controller stuff is very cool. I think some of the like it 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 runs really great. It sounds really great. It looks pretty great. But I think like the the thing that really wowed me in terms of visuals was the, the translocator particle yes, effects when you yeah. uh, travel in between like other translocators. You become like this. You like particles, uh, not not like downwards, but like you spread into particles essentially when you use a translocator. And you light as you travel. Tra Reverse from tra one translocate, and then you f and then those particles form up again mm. into saline <laughs> when you get when you the, use that fast travel uh, you know, beacon. And I was like, oh, that's that's really weird and cool. Like, I really like the way that reminds they did that. me now. Now you said it like that, hearing it like that, it reminds me of when um, Infamous Second Son came out, and like all the the particle effects there, like especially like Delson, like turning into smoke i remember thinking then i was like okay wow this is this is what the ps4 oh, that's a good do. comparison yeah and I, I think that ps5 yeah so it is yeah i i'm i'm just really wanting to get stuck into it like i'm so early on that maybe i'll get maybe i'll get like to the next biome and be like okay this is too hard this is just like unfair but at the <laughs> moment like really really positive yeah yeah i, I guess for people who are uh, concerned about like you know, it's roguelike nature. Oh, do I have to really start over from scratch? There are things you can uh, that transfer over between runs, like basically functionality. Like you have to like uh, gain the ability to like alt fire or use translocators in the beginning. But once you unlock those features, uh, those are permanently unlocked with you. And like the house keys that we were talking about, 
uh, earlier like that's one of like the permanent items that like you can that are is with you in all future runs i don't know what else exactly like sticks with you aside of those because uh, i've yet to like see other things uh, as i progress through the game but you know it's not you're not totally lost uh like uh, every time you die so the i think the one of the uh tricky things about uh returnal also is they have this um i don't know if it's called, I'd call it a risk reward mechanic it's more like just I guess it is. It's like a risk reward mechanic called like the adrenaline uh, mechanic, where um, you, you fill up this uh, this value at the center of your screen. It's like at zero point zero, and every time you kill enemies, you raise that value. And every level, like uh, adrenaline level one or adrenaline level two, you'll gain like new like things that are uh, better about the way you use certain functionalities. So either weapon damage goes up, or you have like enhanced vision. So like when you use like the like this sonar pulse thing, you have a better read on like where things are around you, or just like at like when you finally max that gauge out at adrenaline level five, um, you'll like gain like a, a permanent like boost to like the currency that you would gain moving forward from enemies and and whatnot. But the moment that you get hit, all that progress is reset uh, back to zero on adrenaline. So you you really have to make the, the game's really trying to encourage you not to get hit. And what that and along with these adrenaline levels, your like arsenal is like all your shots are being powered up. So every time like you would fire like at this certain adrenaline shot, like those energy particles from the, its alternate fire is now part of your um like normal shots and whatnot being augmented and whatnot. So that's really cool uh, and makes it kind of more intense. I think that the, the thing that I don't really like about adrenaline is that there are several times in the level just the way it's kind of structured uh is sometimes you're not really sure if you're like you're falling off a ledge when you're jumping off of something so you'll just like take damage and all your adrenaline is gone because like you just took environmental damage like, oh like, that's happened to me loads yeah like you'll yeah. see puddles of water i'm like can i swim and you go in like no uh, nope <laughs> yeah yeah so that, that's kind of uh, kind of a yeah but it's one of those it's like i'll have to learn it i'll have to like uh bake it into my memory but it's a it's pretty cool. Like uh, I really dig it so far. I I guess one more thing I w- I'd like to mention also is like the way that like upgrades uh, is presented on you visually in that game. So you're like in this astronaut suit as Celine, but like early on, like you'll gain like like how you gain the ability to like use uh, uh, like translocators and whatnot. So like she'll, she'll come behind these like these dead bodies and. Like there's like a like this parasitic life form with them or something. It's just something that's like generally gross. It's just like uh, scanning. Uh, it looks safe, and then she just like bolts it onto her suit. Whether it's like <laughs> on like the back of her suit, or like sometimes when it's like um, like uh, an upgrade to your suit that's only uh, applicable to, for that run. It doesn't like carry over with you. Like these parasites, which have like um, uh, a positive effect, but uh, at the cost of a negative effect. So like say if I like. You have faster fire rate, but like your alt fire cooldown is like five seconds lo- longer. Like these parasites, that's like she, uh, she'll just like put on her arm, or like they'll sometimes crawl on her arm and just settle themselves on there. So you just have like two parasites on your arms, like giving you, you know, uh, these boons. But it's just like, oh, that's that can't be good. That doesn't look safe. That's probably not. It almost looks like the uh, mimics from 2017's Prey. Yeah, they do. I mean, if yeah. I remember right. You're right. You're right. But um, yes, yeah, very creepy. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a generally creepy game. But I'm excited to get back to playing it more. It's uh, it's very cool. 
James, I don't know if you had any other like follow up thoughts on the uh, like the upgrade system and the persistence. Um, I will say that while this is definitely a uh, roguelite, a roguelite, I think that the um, variation for each run is much less than most roguelites because like the skeleton of each area is going to be very, very similar. Like obviously the very first area where it's like a sprawling forest, there's going to be more variation what you see, but the second area it's very, very similar because of the way that it works. You like go through this desert until you get into this tower. Then the third area, the skeleton for it is very, very similar because you just go into another tower. So, I mean, Nothing really wrong with that because there is enough variation with the enemies and the weapons and it's still fun to go through. But I do think that if you're if you want to buy Returnal expecting like vastly different runs each time, you probably would be disappointed because that's not the type of game it necessarily is. So is there like a. Is there like a good game to compare it to? Because I've seen some people loosely compare it to Hades. Only it seems like yeah. it's very like thin. It's like I barely. Some, yeah, I'd li- like some like, like Rogue Legacy or not. Not really. Uh, not really. I, I feel like you don't really like. I said like the things that you carry over from run to run, like isn't really just at the moment for upgrades. Yeah, it, like yeah, permanent. You get permanent upgrades for, like for weapons. I think after you like you reach a certain adrenaline. And then after you kill a certain amount of dr- uh, of uh, enemies in like the max adrenaline, you'll get weapon upgrades. And I think those weapon upgrades, anytime you get that certain type of weapon, I think those will carry over too, along with the key feature items. Um, but I, I don't know much else outside of like that aspect. George, do you have any other final thoughts on Returnal? Since you seem like the one that are really the most hyped about it. Um. It's the first time in a while that I've like started playing a game. Where I'm like, I just, like, I just really want to play it, you know. Uh, like even Replicant, I love. I've really, really loved Replicant, but like playing it, I don't know. It, it was more about everything else around it. I think like I enjoyed playing that as well. But Return is just like pure mechanics. Like I'm so, I'm so into like how it feels to play. Um, so I'm. I- I've seen some people describe it as like you can see like the arcadey roots. To yeah, yeah, definitely. House marks older games, and even though it is AAA, they haven't like, or that's what the kind of like the goal was. It hasn't like lost that initial like feeling of being really centered around basically player skill. It still feels like super fast. Yeah. Yes, but you got through the uh, first boss, so you are you're halfway through game journalist mode. Or whatever. <laughs> Hearing that there's like eight biomes, so eight bosses, like genuinely scares me i'm in fr- there's only six biomes by the way oh, oh okay now i'm fine then <laughs> nearly halfway <laughs> yeah almost there <laughs> also kind of a spoiler kind of but not really once you finish the third biome and beat the third boss you basically start in a new biome every time well you start in the fourth biome every time Okay. Can, do you get the option to like go back, or is that? Yes, you can go back if you want to, but there's no real ah, okay. reason to do so because. Oh, okay, cool. That's good. That's so. There's, that's so there's basically checkpoint. like a mid-game, mid-game checkpoint. Is that basically, am I understanding that right? You're basically starting at world four. Yeah. Okay. I've heard that two is like the hardest, but maybe that's like comparative. By the time that you get used to being two, then maybe like the third one. 
Just get like good like, skills. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so were there any other games played this week? Oh, yeah, there was one game. I remember putting this on the list. And this also kind of ties into a, uh, a news post that we'll maybe talk about later or earlier or maybe now. Uh, I don't know. Monster Hunter Rise. So when that game first released, and we talked about it like a month ago, uh, one of the conversations about it was that it was kind of thin on the ground when it came to like end game and reasons to keep playing once you had seen the story to its then conclusion. Uh, but then we got a big update about version 2.0 and the title update for Monster Hunter Rise just a few days ago, followed by its imminent like release and launch. And I know Josh has put a lot of time into it. I don't know if James has yet, uh, but tell me about what they've added to Rise and what you've done revisiting it this month. Yeah, I I fell back into the Monster Hunter Rise Vortex again. No uh, life. <laughs> I I, I kind of know life, that to be honest. Uh, just not 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 as much uh, streams on Discord, but um, yeah, they added uh, the uncapped HR. So uh, the original cap for HR high rank was uh, seven. Then they uh, pretty much uncapped that to nine 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 now. Um, that's a that's a little bit of a jump. Yeah, that's a little. And so how they uh, for anyone who's got into ma- like the first max rack uh, HR to seven, so you go back to the game, you see like, hey, this is what they added, and everyone has something to say to you in the village. And so, and so some of the the new things that you can expect off the bat is now you have the uh, ability to forge layered armor, and what that means is you can pretty much uh, look any way you want and desire uh, for like a a very small cost. So you go to the the armor smith and he's like you know i can forge uh layered armor now and you have like the whole roster of all the armor in the game uh that's unlocked for uh, to you at the moment and it's like uh for you you usually need outfit vouchers which are a new drop from quests and uh you usually need a certain amount of those and then like maybe one or two of like that armor or that monster's materials so it's a very low cost uh, to forge uh, layered armor, and then it, it would it works exactly as you, you would expect. It's like, hey, you equip armor that you want, and then layered armor is the cosmetic that will uh, take on the appearance or o- overwrite the appearance of what you actually have. So you can look stylish now and whatnot uh, for a fairly low cost and whatnot. So that's kind of one, one of the new big things with this. And then starting from HR 20, uh, you you level up HRs now pretty fast too, like with all the new hunts that they added. Um, starting at HR twenty is like when the new monsters start appearing. Actually, let, let me correct that. I don't think uh, I think one of the monsters that wasn't detailed in the news for this, like the when they did the presentation this week, was like well, we're adding Camellios, we're adding Tiastra, we're adding uh, Kushala Daora, and then these uh, these apex monsters that were previously rampage exclusive you can now do them in normal hunts and then we'll add those and then and more and then yeah they were uh, coy about this last one yeah and then they, they were uh the thing that they were teasing is they also added basil geese from uh monster Hunter world in this as kind of like the stealth monster and that that it's kind of it's kind of weird that they don't really play it up all that much because as you that's also one of the new hunts like immediately available to you once you reach uh, uh hr7 and then so you know you, you fight that and then HR twenty is like when you unlock the Camellios fight. HR thirty is when you, I think it's HR thirty is when you unlock the Kashala fight. And then I think HR forty is when you 
unlock the Tiostra fight. And then from then on, you do whatever you want. Uh, you, and then they, the, those unlock like new Apex quests uh, for you. And some of the new Apex monsters that you can fight in Rampage are Apex Rathalos and Apex, I think Mizutsune was one of the new ones as well. But uh, in normal hunts, you can uh, now hunt Apex uh, Arzuros, Apex Raytheon, and Apex Mizutsune uh, as done in normal hunts as well. So along with the, you know, these new Apex monsters, whether it's a normal hunt or a rampage, that means that whatever there are new drops, and those new drops will un- unlock new decorations. And those new decorations, uh, well, that, to, to back that up, decorations are kind of like things you can make to slot into your armor if they have the slots that can uh, accommodate them, and they will. Uh, in, in other games, are like just called like gems. Yeah, they will grant like think Diablo gems, right? and whatnot so that's kind of like the new content update it's not you can get like a like maybe i got probably eight to nine hours out of it maybe a little bit more but it was kind of those weird that weird thing where i crafted all my my hammer set like the the hammer that i wanted and my uh, hammer armor um like what was considered like like a really strong build at the time for before this update i got around to that i was like am i done and then my friend sends me a DM out of there. He's like, hey, this is like uh, the new try-hard hammer build if you want to go for it. It's like a whole new set, new weapon, and whatnot. Like the Tigrex hammer is like really good now and uh, all that. So I was like, all right, uh, okay. So I spent like another four to five hours grinding away at uh, getting this full new weapon and armor set and all the decorations and whatnot for it. So, you know, it's a, your typical Monster Hunter grind. Um, it's still, you know, still really good, but you're, it's not. It doesn't really add anything new to the story. Like the cliffhanger that the story leaves off on is still kind of left unresolved. So that this, I, the, I thought that's part of what they were adding. Is that the next update? That's the next update. So the next update <laughs> is uh, coming later this month. So in late May is the next title update, which is good. You know, at least at least they're not uh, waiting that long for this next one. Hopefully, 3.0 has more. Um, stuff to it like uh i would like to see just i don't know it's weird because i keep i want more new content but whenever new content because i just like eat that up uh, and then like i'm like where's the new content again <laughs> you know so I, maybe i'm kind of this vicious cycle of just like keeping up to date with this but, but right now i'm like even though this update just barely came out i'm kind of already done again with it uh the only thing left for me at this point is just doing the melding pot gotcha of like praying that talisman like certain talismans will get the skills and the slots that i want out of them but it's it's pretty solid you know it's uh i really 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 like the what they did with the visual enhancements to camellios because camellios is like a monster that i haven't fought since like freedom unite uh, honestly and so it looks really good uh it's it's the same like camellia that you would expect it still turns invisible during the fight it still has a lot of poison uh moves that like it, it likes to dish out on you but it, it looks really good and animates really well so other than that, there's not yeah. really the, like big changes to it. Yeah, when I was watching you play, like it's hard to get that excited about like Apex Rathalos. Now it's Rathalos, but more difficult. Like, I guess I've I've only played World, but to me that's just like tempered or tempered. Maybe it's like slightly different, but fundamentally similar. But when I was watching you fight Camellios, uh, that was something new to me because obviously that's not, he doesn't have a presence in World, and it's kind of like a unique gimmick that none of the other monsters have, as far as I know. So that I thought was actually really cool. If I was playing this game, which I haven't stepped on yet, I'll probably wait for the PC release. Um, that's what that's like. 
to me, it almost seems like the most exciting part about this update is a new monster entirely rather than than just extending out the treadmill and just saying, like, now you can fight what you have been fighting, only it's more difficult. But yeah. I guess that's just Monster Hunter in a nutshell. Like, of uh, course, uh, but, I, like, I think that, that's the real bummer about the update. It's like, out of all these monsters that you're fighting, only one of them is truly quote unquote new. It's more of a, but it's more of like a legacy monster returning. So it's not, it's re, like, it's new in the sense of like you haven't seen this in a long time, but like Kushala Daora and Tiastra and Bezogis, like you all saw those in World, they are very similar to how they were in World. Um, so it's not like you know, nothing's truly changed about their fights. You, you, like Tiastra still has Supernova, still look out for that, you know. And but so that like it's hopefully hopefully they they add a lot more like just either brand new monsters or like I guess pulling more on the legacy stuff of monsters that we haven't seen in a long while, like Emilio's. Like you know, I, uh, it's kind of it's kind of like hard to like think about like what am i gonna do next in this game it's like the, the real answer is probably put it down again after playing it for like three to four days because like i'm pretty much done with the new content at the moment i i, I could go branch out to like another weapon but like you know i kind of i kind of really enjoy my life with hammers so far uh i don't know if did did either i know james and george play a little bit of rise when it first came out but you haven't touched this up yet have you no, I I don't know if I like I'll probably give it a while until I go back to Rise. Like I didn't even like get to the end of the main content, but I did play like a pretty good amount, maybe like twenty hours overall and I didn't get sick of it, but like other stuff came out and other stuff is gonna keep coming out that's like got my interest more. So like it it's it was a great time. But like I'm I'm happy like leaving it alone for you, a bit. You've you've had your like yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, so before we wrap up this section, I do think there's a few other little games that are kind of tucked away here and there. Uh, George has a couple of them listed. Uh, so we talked about very briefly the Judgment Remaster mm. to, for PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series that came out uh, a little over a week ago. But now you've put some time into it. Uh, first of all, have you played this game before or is this brand new to you? This is brand new to me. Um, spurred on right. by like how much Josh is like sang its praises before so i was like oh yeah i'll give it a go like i like i loved yakuza 7 i love love loved yakuza 8 so like why not it is it i'm thinking of Wait, eight, what say that again what which one am i oh i'm thinking of no no no. i'm thinking of seven i loved i love love loved seven and i really like six um okay seven, <laughs> seven's most oh i've confused myself <laughs> Anyway, you said Yakuza eight for a second. Let me in. Anyway, <laughs> um, so I was like, yeah, I'll give it a go. Um, this remaster, you know, seems like the best way to play it, uh, and I'm yeah, it's really really good so far. Um, I have the fear that I won't get back to it for some time now, like looking at Returnal and New Pokemon Snap, and then Resident Evil Village. So I'm I'm kind of kicking myself for buying it because I know like it's just gonna sit there until like nothing else is out but like i did the first act uh which is about four hours um and yeah it seemed really good uh i don't love the main character as much as i like instantly fell in love with ichiban i presume that changes as you get to know them more but like i don't know like josh you, you tell me but yeah i, I, I really like gami like that throughout it's I, I i'm not gonna say that like maybe you'll fall in love with him like as more time goes on Maybe you will. I don't know. Like uh, he I becomes, like him. 
becomes he becomes a pretty compelling character as as the game goes on mm. though. He, he he's very different from Kiryu. He's very different from Ichiban. He's a he's a much more but he's a much more uh, mellow character compared to Ichiban. Like he doesn't have Ichiban's energy. Which yeah. I really like about Ichiban. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That that's it so far. Uh, I definitely agree with what Cullen said about the game losing a little bit of its visual identity, but. I also think that like maybe I'm saying that now that I've seen it. So maybe it's like demand characteristics or it's like I've been told that's the case. So like I believe it. Because I, I look at the comparisons and like, yeah, it does look a little bit worse, but I don't like, it doesn't bother me that much personally. But um like I can notice it. Uh but besides that, like 60 frames is like fantastic. Uh the combat system is really fun. Um I think I like it less than Yakuza 6 is. I don't know why, but like in that gear, you felt like a like a freight train, like you kick stuff and you, everyone would just like fly everywhere. And here it's a bit more like Yagami will like just hit stuff like a little bit lighter, I guess. Yeah, he, he doesn't hit as hard as Kiryu. He's, he's he's more mobile as a result because he like you know yeah. the, he tries to push you like the, the the wall attacks and whatnot. But you know it's not Kiryu, but it's it's okay. What uh, do you think of it so far, Josh? I think I don't know. It's it's weird because. Like the lighting changes, like I'm trying to live with them, whether I like it or hate it, this is what they're gonna like move. This is what they're de- definitely um, gonna use for the all the clips they've been teasing about these, the, like the potential judgment sequel or follow up, uh, that will be you know unveiled like in the next judge two eyes two judge two eyes. Yeah. Um, so like you know, love it or hate it, like it's like you know, I'm still trying to jive with it. It's definitely. Like I just really like the visual identity of the first one, like the the over oversaturated look to it. Like it, it definitely like gave it like a visual flair, like a, like uh it was like of an era type deal. And like especially it it really bothers me, especially when um that that lighting engine back then or the that lighting style really made characters' clothes pop out a lot more and like they were visually flashy. It's like oh we're in it again. It's, it's kind of like. It's kind of like if you were to like to rework like Yakuza Zero's lighting engine to like lose more color and whatnot. That's kind of what I feel like here, because like it, it, you definitely lose the pop of uh, people's clothing in this remaster. But it's, you know, it's okay, I guess. It's it's not it's more natural lighting, so it's like I, I get it. Um, it's one of those things where it's making a deliberate choice like that to have something specifically not be targeting realism. You're avoiding that like uncanny value, uncanny valley, where it's like, well, it looks close, but it doesn't have the fidelity to quite like trick your brain, and then everything just looks like off. And now with the PS5, they're like, well, maybe we can actually get through that, and we can actually make it look more photorealistic, for lack of a better word. But then it still has the same art style, just different lighting, and it's like, is this the was this compromise worth it? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. But um, I think I think the real shocker for me when I booted up this game. Was and I like I was streaming this to some friends and like, and then they they can vouch it like you know for like the last fifteen minutes before like uh before I booted that game I was like I can't wait to see the pinball in sixty frames per second like that stupid <laughs> pinball machine at Yagami's place like I can't wait and then like I I booted up the game and you're at Yagami's like detective like you know room and then like I see this little inky dinky uh, arcade cab at the corner where the pinball machine used to be it just says at the top video games on it i'm like and you can't interact with it whatsoever I'm like what the fuck is this and like <laughs> I, I like stared at it for like a good like 30 seconds in silence and my friends were just kind of like looking at me and i'm like did they did they take out the pinball machine and i'm like 
No. Was it like branded in any way, or was it like a license that would have expired, or was it just I, like I, generic I, pinball? It was, it was generic pinball from what I like remember from it, but I can't tell you for sure. Like it was like a specific license that they used for it. It had to have been, I imagine. But I'm just like, where the fuck is the pinball machine? I was like so excited to like go play this pinball machine for like two minutes and go about my day. But no, there's no more pinball machine in the remaster. I don't know why it's not there anymore. And I, I know that Adam speculated it might have been a frame rate thing since like it could have broken at 60 FPS and you're like, fuck it. We're not going to fix it. We're just going to remove it. I, I don't that, That's it, it feels borderline unacceptable to me because I, I love that stupid pinball machine. And like, I'm just like, we're so, you know, but, you know, the, the game runs well, 60 frames. It feels great in combat, uh, like what you would expect. Um, I, I, it also runs at that pro- problem that, like, a lot of re-releases and remasters have that, like, bundle in all the DLC with, along with them is, like, when you go visit Yagami's, like, mailbox outside of his room where you would get the DLC no- normally. Like, I, I, I forgot, but, like, how much DLC came out for this game. But, like, I, like, literally sifted to, like, 30 to 35, like, dialogue boxes of like DLC items being added uh, to my game. I'm like, what the fuck is this? What the fuck is this? Like, like it's just like, hey, you got this orb, you got this item, you got this bundle. I'm like, I guess, sure, if you if you say so. And like a lot of that like stuff is like infinite, like infinite consumables that are like cheat items. They're like, hey, activate this thing in combat and you'll do like an orbital laser from above and like heaven strike all these dudes. Or like here's one that was like instantly kill everyone in this battle. And like, and they do have a cooldown, but like, it's kind of like it feels. I don't know. I'm being weird about this. I'm just like it. To me, no, it I can't agree with what you mean. It devalued, you know, like my playthrough because I forgot that like these things were a thing. And I'm like, what does de- these things do? These infinite consumables. So let's just try them out. And I was like, oh man, this is kind of lame. No, uh, I kind of get that. I haven't really thought about it like deliberately, but I played a few remasters where in your mailbox or in your inventory or even in like a menu screen it's like all right here's all the here's all the bonus stuff you get for getting the the remastered definitive edition and like if you've played the game like previously and you're revisiting it you might have an idea like oh yeah i remember when they added this i have a general idea of what this is i i but then i'm trying to imagine like a new player coming to like something like that and they're like are these good are these bad are these cheat items or are they just kind of like skins that they add with the pre-order that don't actually matter at the end i don't know they all look the same i was just given a list of 40 things and i don't know what to do with them uh or and there might be some cases where it's not clear what's a what's a bonus item and what's an actual in-game item i think that's a little bit more more rare but i could see that happening as well uh yeah i don't know i just never thought about that but there's almost like a thing where it's like in case you forgot you were playing a game, we're going to remind you that this is an entertainment product. This is software, and we are adding, you know, some. I know that seems dumb because obviously yeah, we don't forget we're playing a game, but yeah. when, when a game so outwardly reminds you that this is a program on a disc or on a file, this is software that you are engaging with because we are adding in the stuff that was we marketed earlier to nickel and dime people. I could see that like being a turnoff at the very start of a remaster that has maybe overindulged in that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but you know, I've I've only like you know briefly played it just to see how it was. I'll, I'll probably get keep on. I'll probably play it a lot more when we get a better idea of like what this new judgment, um, project is, and it's probably a sequel. And maybe I'll probably play it a lot more when it's closer to that release date, uh, for that because I I, I do really like the game. I I just like I have to I have to push myself to get used to this new lighting engine for better or worse. 
yeah, yeah. I, I think the one like really <laughs> this is gonna sound weird. The one really good thing they they did for this game is that you remember that um the opening to Judgment like that it, it presents itself like a Japanese drama show with like uh, the the vocals by Alexandros. This guy it was like it's a really slick slick well made opening. It's like oh that's a really cool way like you decided to the that's how you decided to like present this um story. Um, they used that exact same video for this remaster. I thought I, I had like this fear because of the way like the early trailers for the Judgment remaster was, where they like they showed like segments at that opening, but in the new lighting engine, so it looked like really not great. Like I was like, oh, did they did they remaster the opening so it, like it uses that same like lighting engine now? And like no, it's like everything is still intact for that opening. It's just like if they have that same video, it still plays, and they left it untouched. I'm like, okay. Great, awesome. And I know that's like a weird thing, but it's just like it's one of those. It's like at least there's something here that I like. I still is very reminiscent of the original that I really liked, and they didn't touch that. All right, a couple more games to knock off the what we've been playing section here before we move on. Uh, let's head over to James, who is still on the or recently returned to the Final Fantasy treadmill that he's been on. Uh, it looks like he's finally put more time into Final Fantasy VI, which is where he left off. So yep. what was your experience with that? I think you had talked about it briefly uh, on a previous podcast, but now you've really put some time into it. Yeah, you talked about it last week. Yeah, I basically finally uh, got back to it last week. Uh, I was kind of bumping between that and uh, Near Replicant. Uh, but I did finish uh, Final Fantasy VI this week. Uh, yeah, uh, Basically, everything I said from last week is still the same. It very much holds up. It's not overrated. Um, I think that I'm probably still just a little bit more of a fan of five than six, but that's, that's cool. just that's just like personal preference and all that. Six is very much a game, an RPG worth playing. And man, I'd love for it to get a remake, but it would have to be turn based. No, don't don't make it an action RPG square. If you ever remake it, please don't. I don't have five or six here are both. Well, both, but mostly mostly talking about six here. Uh, they are they already remade five and six, dude. You can go boot up Steam and uh, they they remade them. Uh, Josh, mm-hmm. I but am yeah, I think you... I think the last time we uh, talked about it, you weren't at the uh, <laughs> you weren't at the second half of the game yet. So, how did you think about how that uh, how that plays out? Uh, it, it's pretty good. Well, I was in the second half of the game uh, last week. I think. I think. I think so yeah, I think I think you were. Yeah, I think I had oh, okay. already picked up a few of the uh, party members. I will say that the, and I'm pretty sure I said this last week, the transition to getting the second airship is amazing. Like, there are so many sections of this game where it's like, man, I can't believe they managed to do this on a Super Nintendo. It's just ridiculous how many, like, cutscenes that they kind of built into the framework of the game, whether it's during battles or even, like, bespoke segments like getting the falcon and just learning about like setzer's uh kind of backstory with daryl in the background while in the foreground you're walking down the stairs with him it's very very cool like and cool isn't a strong enough word for it i i almost wanted to say cinematic but it's like all pixel art so it's not really cinematic but it's like just a really cool like framing for the storytelling it it is interesting how how you brought that up because like it 
in some ways, FF6 was definitely like like dealing with cinematography with pixel sprites only. Like there, there, there are definitely moments in that game. Like it feels climactic, even though like the visuals were like still just pixel sprites, but it felt meaningful. <laughs> yeah, it it's definitely like Squaresoft back in the mid '90s, just hitting it on all of their cylinders, firing on all of their cylinders. Yeah. So um, with that being said, I am very excited to finally get to Final Fantasy VII. I have no idea how I'm going to feel about it because obviously a lot of people, it's their favorite. Obviously, a lot of people do think it's a bit overrated. So it's like, uh, I... Yeah, it's, I, it's like impossible for you to go in with no presumptions or no like expectations. You should go, you should go ask the people the, uh, on the, of the, fi- the official Final Fantasy VII, the first soldier Discord that opened up, that they announced that on, like, the, on, on Twitter. Like, hey, our Discord's opening up. So go join <laughs> that and you know, go ask people, hey, you know, I'm about to go to FF7 for the first time. What should I do? Uh, in case you forgot Josh. what that is, that's the mobile only <laughs> battle royale. <laughs> I, 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 I want to make it clear that this is the second time Josh has given me the bad vibes. I am sending him the bad vibes back. Can you feel them? Are you receiving them? Uh, nah, nah. It's only good vibes here in, the, in First Soldier Land. Drat. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, continue with my Final Fantasy uh, marathon. Uh, though I did take a break from it earlier. Uh, next month is going to be very fun. I'm using air quotes here because uh, I'm probably going to start Final Fantasy XI a little bit early because uh, the last two years they had a sale in the middle of May. So, oh no. Hell yeah. By the way, I did see this is very much a tangent, but I guess recently the... Final Fantasy Brave Exvius. I don't know the details here. I just saw it shared, but there was like a cinematic where it had like a modern representation of Celeste doing like one of their ultimate abilities in that mobile game. So it's just like a 10 second clip, but people are like, man, I want a remake in this style. Just It's just interesting to see like the modern takes on these characters that originally only ever appeared in sprites or official artwork accompanying the game. So. Yeah, I think I think that's like that's like kind of like the really the big legacy of like like something like the City of NT, where you got to like these, these gorgeous 3D models of like older Final Fantasy characters. Like, wow, can you imagine what they would look like today? Yeah, I will say one thing that's really interesting about Final Fantasy VI in retrospect is that there isn't really a main character. Like there's segments of the game where specific characters are like the main character. And you can make an argument that Terra could be the main character. Locke could be the main character. Celis could be the main character. Hell, you could even argue for parts of it that Sabin could be like at least partially a main character. It's really fascinating how they managed to uh, like almost every character with obviously some exceptions feels like, they have just as much of a dog in this fight as anyone else. And it's fascinating because you don't really see that in a lot of RPGs these days. Or when You're they attempt something like, yeah, when they attempt something like it, uh, I, might need to, I might need a little bit of help just trying to straighten my thoughts on this, but I started thinking of Final Fantasy XII where it's like, does it have a main character? Well, yes, it's Vaughn, but he doesn't really he doesn't have that role in the same classic way that I don't know, like cloud does or that squall does. And people like bash the game for that, but 
maybe it's because they tried to say like, oh, we can't have a game where no one's the main character. Let's have one that sort of is. And then they kind of go halfway and it doesn't work. So I was just thinking like, I kind of have the same opinion where I, I love the Final Fantasy VI. Basically, it doesn't, it, it kind of stretches away from the classic, how do we tell an RPG story? It doesn't have to center around what happens to a protagonist. It's more about what happens to the world, what happens to these interactions between these people. They all have an equal standing. You know, not one is not inherently more, in, more interesting and more important than the other because that's the perspective we have. So I, I kind of wish more games kind of uh, focused like that. I'm trying to think of like a, a modern RPG that does that. And I'm really I'm honestly coming up with a blank. I don't know. <laughs> well, that one, that one's just so more like eight individual games where they were each with its own protagonist. But mm. if everyone's the protagonist, is there really a protagonist? No. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I wish more RPGs told stories beyond the you must have a protagonist that is either like everything happens to or for or because of sort of thing. Like, I think there's a lot of interesting ways you can tell stories that are more like, uh, what's the word, like anecdotal or more more to- more to- more, to- more told through like environments with between different characters that they don't all have to center around one core person's motivation. So, Final Fantasy VI is excellent for that. I agree. Yeah. All right, one more thing on the list that we haven't brought up yet. Uh, maybe just very quickly approach here at the end. George, uh, you have put on here that you played a little bit of near automata when you after you had finished replicant i don't know how much time you put into it but uh clearly you were really motivated to keep going once you had enjoyed replicant so much so tell me about your experience uh so when i left off automata uh this we're talking years ago when it first came out it must have been i'd put in two hours um and hadn't vibed with it that much i guess just maybe immaturity maybe something came along like like it usually does with me um but now I finished like the first ending of the game. I'm about twelve hours in. Um, I'm now on like the second route where you play as Nine S. Uh, what a fantastic game! Um, I don't know if my feelings for it as strong as Replicant because like after after I finished Replicant, I was like, wow, this game is like stuck in my head, and like these characters like I adore. And then Watomater, I'm I think I enjoy the combat more than I enjoy the story. Weirdly, like that that's probably gonna get me. A lot of hate, <laughs> but no. Uh, you, you got, now you know you're a, uh, a true near fan when you kept coming to Atomic. I'd be like, you know what? The normal, the, the original one was kind of better, and like, yeah, like gameplay. I I don't know what it is. I just so like if I'd if I'd finished like the first run of Replicant and then stopped there, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. I'd probably been like, yeah, this is pretty good, but it's not special. So like. I'm thinking I need to I need to go through all of Automata. Um, I just I think I dislike the way it does replayability like even more here. Like I don't know. I just I don't really like playing Nine S that much. Uh, and Automata's a lot shorter, so like that's good. That's fine. Like I can probably run through it in like six hours. But like if it's six hours, I'm not enjoying that much. It's you know it feels a bit forced. So. I don't know. I that's a really interesting perspective because that's one of the now that you have like the kind of now you know how the original did it like in uh, with subsequent playthroughs like you can see that like how they wanted to address that 
particular like quirk in automata is like you know we, we kind of get the complaints or like the people's frustrations of like playing to quote unquote through the exact same material as your original so we're gonna like you know switch up and give you like you know a new playable character with it with their own separate mechanics instead to like kind of spruce up the subsequent subsequent playthrough aspect of the sequel mm. and, and and that they hear you say like you know i don't really think that it was it's not all that engaging compared to how the original did it because in the original at least you know you know exactly what you need to do to get yeah. to the next like part while this one's like everything's all new but you're not really enjoying the beat by beat moment huh. replicant feels like it felt like I was like getting close to something. Like it felt like okay, I know this thing intimately sounds a bit weird. Like I'm doing weird stuff for replicant, but like <laughs> I, I I knew I knew every scene, I knew every beat, and maybe I'm just not there for Tomato yet. Like I haven't played enough of it. Like I can't. I, all of my criticism now is somewhat unsubstantiated because I'm barely through it. But it it just hasn't hit the same note for me yet. Um admittedly that's like a high bar because replicant like it was fantastic and like meant a lot to me made me very emotional whereas automata is just like a really really good game so far it just hasn't it hasn't done what replicant did for me yet um hopefully i i will i'm more likely to go back to that than i am judgment because like i'm invested now like i've put enough time in i've left it long enough like i want to finish automata so maybe next week i will have at least finished 9s's story but you know Ask me about it Saturday. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, well, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just for you, George. I'll, I'll go mod your 9s model to be Yagami from. <laughs> the take about the second playthrough being kind of a slog and 9s be, not being like jollying with people because people don't like the hacking as much and that's a little bit stiffer. That's very. I, I'm like feel like I'm playing pulled back to like three four years ago when that released because that was very common. Just like it sounds a little bit like snobby, but just like just. Just push through it, man. It's worth it. Uh, and I'm not a person that like adores Automata. I think it's really good, but not like the next level experience that some people had. But definitely, like it's worth it for Route C and beyond. So just I know I know Nine S's playthrough is not inherently interesting on its own, but it's worth it. Just trust me. <laughs> I feel I feel like I'm the crazy person because like I I kind of like playing through uh, through Nine S because every single almost every single track in Automata has like a chiptune version. Yep. To, oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, to to like accommodate this hacking mini game of that. And I was like, this is a, like I I treated as well. I was like, let me see how many of these variants. Uh, I want to hear all the variants of every single like major like uh, environment in this game, and that's how I treated Nines's route. All right. Well, it's a good thing that we've gotten about an hour, nearly two hours, in out of the first section because there's not a lot on the terms of like news discussion topics from the last seven days. And the theme of this is mostly going to be some sales milestones. I guess a lot of like fiscal years rolled over. We had a lot of like fiscal year 20 wrap ups or whatever from different places. So we'll go through that. We'll see where the natural breathing points are for those discussions. Uh, a few things that were announced. Uh, we got a couple different older games coming to newer systems uh, announced through different means. Uh, we learned that Nino Kuni 2 Revenant Kingdom is likely headed to Nintendo Switch due to a new esrb rating so that's exciting i guess i i I'm gonna be honest i thought it was already on the switch i still don't <laughs> know like i still don't know how zach thought that deserved a nine out of ten I, I just <laughs> this is retroactively just 
<laughs> Here's well, your chance to review the Switch version and give it its. Well, I I feel bad because I don't want to I don't want to bag on this game because I've never played it. But uh, now it's available think, on what, Switch. Just just like I've I always thought, it's, especially the first Nino Kuni was like really really well regarded. Like it's too not that good. I I didn't enjoy it as much as one to be honest. I like for me it was kind of like I, I think I think the thing that really broke me in that game is like oh cool they brought like town building back oh man it's really fucking bare bones and boring. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that gets me about Nino Kuni too is that it has this amazing first cut scene that mm-hmm. really sets things up to be a really interesting story, and then immediately drops it and doesn't do anything with it. The most memorable part about that game is the opening cut scene, straight up. I, I can't uh, like the only so, okay okay so George since this is the, the opening cutscene like literally the first five minutes I don't I'm not going to count this as a spoiler no, oh yeah go for it go for it so basically the beginning of the plot has you the main character the um, president of the United States watching what? the country get <laughs> nuked and getting transported <laughs> to the Nino Kuni universe and becoming the advisor to the prince of this kingdom. You sure, you're and not that, thinking of Saint Row Four because this this sounds then, like Saint Row Four. <laughs> and then 15 minutes into it, the prince gets cornered, and you, the president of the United States, is like, "Ah, shit! I gotta help him." You pull out a Glock and point the gun at the main pr- the main antagonist <laughs> of the first half of the game. It's so good. It is so good. Me no, me too. We talking about the same thing because that doesn't sound right. <laughs> now remember. Now remember. The opening has nothing to do with the rest of the story. Yeah, so like they. Why never, is it there then? Exactly. <laughs> they they never followed up in, an, in like a, a particularly meaningful way for the rest of the game for the, your next forty to fifty hours of that game. It's like okay, I guess it feels. From- it feels like they had a much better story planned, and then the reason why the game took so long is that they had to cut out most of it to reach a teen rating. I'm so confused. <laughs> that that's Honestly, the only I did thing not I know can assume. That's the only thing I can assume because, like, if the story was better handled, Nino Kuni Two would actually be a really good game because, like, the combat's fine, the world itself is interesting. The problem is, is that there's no meat to it. Like yeah, it's, you it's can really see the skeleton, but if the main story was even a little bit better, like there's so much there, it's obvious that it got cut because, like, why is there like a crashed 747 on one corner of the map that we literally don't talk about in the entire game? Like, I don't like, know. The main story is basically, oh man, this prince needs to find allies, uh, go to like the the different kingdoms in the world and like try to make friends with them. And the main story is this evil King Evan conquering the world to become its dominator. Wait, Evan is like the the kid, right? He's the main character, and he wants to rule the world. I'm I'm joking. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> but that, but, okay, I have a few things I want to say. Um, first of all, I'm not really a big fan of either Nino Kuni game. The first game kind of has this awkward like turn-based battle system. It's like more like me, like turn-based hybrid action thing. It's like action with like a selection of commands it's weird um and the second one is this kind of simple action combat system um the story in Nino kuni 2 what it actually is is literally you are like a fledgling new kingdom mm-hmm. that's why it's called revenant kingdom mm-hmm. and you are basically wanting to ally with all the other kingdoms not for any like super good reason just like let's just i need to ally with the other kingdoms and, and they kind of each have their own little yeah. problem that's going on 
but there really isn't like an overarching story. I was joking before about how like you eventually sort of become like the lead kingdom ruling over all the others. So it is sort of on paper, like you are ruling the world, but it's obviously not like that. But there really is like what James is saying. It's kind of thin. And the real like antagonist kind of shows up at the end. And to be honest, I even forget exactly what that was all about. It's just really shunted in there. Yeah, and they also they also eventually after like it felt forever to get out the DLC for this game. Um, but the DLC you know, is honestly shit. I'm gonna yeah. just be honest with you. It's yeah. what it is. It's like um, it's like a wave based combat arena thing. It's weird. And then, like, I think, like, the the latest number suppo- was supposed to have, like, ties with the first Tino Kuni, and, like, that, that even pan out well, from what I heard. Like, I don't even remember much. But, you know, I mean, I get, like, sure, I guess it is coming to Switch. Well, why not? But it really is a shame, though, because there's, like, enough in this game where it's like, man, this did have potential. There's, like, aspects of it where you can see that if the story was better, and maybe the combat had a little bit like even the combat itself is fine. It's simple, but it's fine. But man, if the story was just handled a little bit better, if it was a little bit more cohesive, it would be a legitimately it, great RPG. You just have to get the fucking gun throughout the it whole also, game. Then. It also has the uh, it also has a um common trait, or I should say a trait common to level five games, which is what I call the kitchen sink approach, where they just throw so many different mechanics into the game yeah. that don't like gel or mesh together well at all. This is like common to almost every single level five game. You remember um, in Kuni Two thing where they had they tried to do like a strategy game over yes. section. There's the regular combat. There's the strategy game built in. There's the town building aspect. It's just like okay, <laughs> but even the town building was like you would you just like it's, there's like elements of each of every one of those that like as you were getting at like they put in so much th- stuff that like none of them really gets fleshed out the way that you want it to or it feels rewarding. But it's just like, there's stuff mm-hmm. here. It's like, it's like surface level. Okay, this is serviceable, I guess. But then they don't really get any deeper than that because they're because they're they're doing quantity over quality, essentially. I haven't played Nino Kuni 2, but when Adam talks about the kitchen sink approach, what I'm thinking of in my head, in my mind's Dark eye, is too. like, yeah, you 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 read my mind. I'm thinking like there's that robot stuff they have to build up with whatever I don't even Max's robot, and then there's like the golfing, and then there's like the photography, and none of yep. it builds off each other. It's all just separate little bars. Like, do you want to get all the photography stuff? Well, here's this game within a game. And do you want to do all the uh golfing stuff? Well, here's this game within a game. And maybe in a very few places you get an item that you could like equip or something, but it, it was it just felt very much kitchen sinky. So that's what I'm thinking of when you uh when you describe Unicuni 2 that way. But so yeah, all, it's coming to switch. I guess that's all what we very, <laughs> this conversation yeah. from. It's all very timely though, because that uh, Nino Kuni mobile mo- uh, mobile game is gonna come out soon. It's already be- you can already pre-register for it in Japan or something. So it's all building up hype for that, right? I was actually just looking up Dark Cloud 2 and I totally forgot that Monica can also transform into different monsters. Remember that? Jeez. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's so much like kitchen sink. Anyway, sorry. Another game coming to a uh, new system, new console, is Dragon Quest Builders 2. It was originally leaked through like a Microsoft Store page listing, and then re- and then very soon thereafter confirmed through a tweet that Dragon Quest Builders 2 is coming to Xbox One and Xbox Game Pass on May 3rd. 
It originally released in, at least in the West, in 2019, first on PlayStation and then later on PC. Uh, so a game that I think generally people are a lot more fond of, it actually made it into our top five releases for that year. Uh, I think James actually thinks pretty highly of this, so it's coming to Xbox, I guess. Exciting for Xbox owners. It's pretty it wasn't good. already on Xbox. What? Nope. It was a uh, PC later. Before, uh, sorry, PlayStation Four and Switch, and then PC like soon thereafter, a few months later, like December instead of July. Oh, uh, I thought it like the one really weird part about that game. This game's really good. <laughs> Do I want to ask for like elucidation on that? Oh uh, man, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to. Like it, it kind of. Dragon Quest. Dragon Quest Builders Two is an almost perfect game if it didn't have that fourth stealth segment. It, it didn't have that fourth stealth segment, and also that um the that that weird uh, was it the second or third where they kind of creep on the girl. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. It, what? Yeah, like there's this whole there's this whole section about the game. It's like, is this the, can I can I let my kids play this or my I don't know. Oh, <laughs> huh. I forget what it is exactly, but there's some like girl that's like like a village is raising, and like some of the attitudes towards her, and she's like young, is kind of weird. Like, yeah, uh... <laughs> basically, uh, in the second island, there's a girl that's uh, she's basically like the one kid that's left over at this town, so everyone dotes on her, and they don't want her to become a dancer like her mom was because it's like, no, you don't have to, and she decides, oh no, I'm going to be a, a bunny girl. Uh, okay. It was a weird small section of that game. It's like, I, I guess. I mean, it could have been handled a hell of a lot worse. Yes. I'll say that. Sure. And it, I guess I didn't mention, but it's also getting a, uh, a Windows 10 specific, like Windows Store PC port. So, which before would like be a footnote, but now it's like ever since near Automata's PC port is like two distinct versions. It's just kind of like, I wonder if that's going to be significant or not. We can't just hand wave it away immediately. Not that the builder's port had the issues that the near port had, so maybe it's moot. Yeah. I think like the one issue I had with the builder's port was that it's not very well multi-threaded. So um, you might have some issues with uh, player-created areas where you'll have frame drops even on a super powerful system because... It's, it's... all on one core, yeah. Yeah. Or a couple. Okay, so we already talked a bit about Monster Hunter Rise version 2 when, since Josh has basically consumed all of that content and played through it. Uh, we also got more updates for the upcoming Monster Hunter Stories 2, which is releasing not too far from now in July. Uh, so there was a new trailer, which is basically just more like story considerations. So the trailer is mostly just kind of stuff we've already seen, only kind of introduces some new characters and some new concepts. But there was also like a streaming digital event where they go into the gameplay of uh, Stories 2. And I've never played the original game, but I went ahead and watched the stream and I clicked the, uh, the mark for the gameplay presentation. And I was actually really kind of vibing with what I saw. It's a turn-based battle system. It uses kind of like this uh, weapon triangle sort of setup. Uh, and... I don't know. It feels like it has enough going on that I feel like this could be like a really compelling game. Like I, I kind of am very like I, I just generally like turn-based games. It has to do something really silly or terribly for me to bounce off it. 
But I'm looking at this and I kind of just like maybe, maybe, but when Monster Hunter Stories 1 first came out, I hadn't put a lot of time, like I hadn't put hundreds of hours into World and I wasn't in with the franchise yet. But now I'm kind of really interested in it. So I'm really looking forward I to this. I will one. say, um, let me double check really quick, but uh, Stories 1 is on mobile and I think that it's yeah, still it on is. sale for five bucks right now. Oh, so. wow. Uh, that's a pretty good deal but uh, you know Sto stories one like is a, is a pretty okay game like it, it like i think the battle system from what i remember is pretty bare bones in it but so a, a lot of it is like the breeding aspect of that game for uh, you know yeah like yeah pokemon okay uh, so brian uh, monster Hunter stories is on sale on uh, both android and ios for five bucks until may 9th maybe another game for you to play with your new uh ios uh controller uh, i forget if I, talk, I, yeah, I forget if i talked about this on the podcast but uh, i ordered one of those backbone iphone controllers with the ex with the expectation of playing fantasian with it because that's iphone's the only apple device i had i could play it with but i beat the game or at least part one before the backbone shipped so now i have it and i'm like what do i do with this so here <laughs> yeah, james just gave me james just gave me another option I do also really like the art style. It's very reminiscent of like modern Pokemon art style. Like there's some characters that I feel like you could plot them out of this stories too and into Pokemon and they would fit. But only at least through the streaming presentation, it just looks like it runs really well. So maybe that's the key difference. But yeah, I don't know why. I'm I've never played the first game. I don't have that high of an affinity for Monster Hunter. But I look at this one, I'm like, you know what? I'm really interested in this one. So something about it's just clicking with me. Get your uh, battle buddies and monsties to fight with you in stories too. Get your cat that's obsessed with the smell of monster eggs. You, I, th I think the trailer or the or the gameplay they showed off the uh, Kezu in that art style, and like in, in stories too. I'm like, oh, that's that's probably a thing we shouldn't we we didn't need to know, but it's there. Here's a game that has shown up on the podcast a few times, but never really with news related to it and i'm talking about lost soul aside which is a chinese developed rpg that originally appeared back in like 2017 and 2018 back with the china joy presentation and remember playstation experience remember when that was a thing uh one of those playstation experience presentations back in 2017 uh it kind of went dormant for several years and then i kept confusing it with what was that other game out of edge of eternity Yes, not Edge of Eternity. <laughs> this is Lost Soul Aside, and it's it's the other game with not Noctis. We finally got a new gameplay trailer. Uh, so, and it's pretty lengthy. So we got about twenty minutes of new gameplay. Uh, it's running on PlayStation Five hardware. The development team, which which was originally just like a couple people, right, has grown to thirty. So it's still like a smaller scale project, but maybe something that kind of more matches the ambitions of the game. Uh, still no new like information on like release timing, no new like uh, concrete details about when we'll see this. Uh, but it was just it just kind of returned from its slumber and we kind of see it again. So it's very uh, I don't know if we have any other yeah, feelings on this. Uh, lots of particle effects. Um, you know, I, it, it could use some tweaks like you know I, I wasn't really too fond of the sound effects in that in that gameplay. Uh, walkthrough that they did but it's shaping up it looks pretty cool i i really want to play it it does like seem like it wears some of its final fantasy 15 influences on his sleeve the way he materializes the sword in his hand and warps around basically by flinging it 
So, yeah, he has like a partner MacGuffin that can like basically transform into anything. Like at some point, he'll like transform to like a skateboard or something. Yeah, it looks sick. <laughs> Go down like a mountain or a, or, a, or a rock slide, and then at the other parts, like it transfers to like to be like a wings to glide him to to a platform. I don't know if it transfer. I think it also transforms his weapons too. It's uh, it's crazy. Yeah, it looks, yeah, it does. It looks it's sword. Yeah. So uh, I don't know anything else about that game besides what they're. I don't think anyone else knows really knows uh, about that game besides what was shown. Really, well, if it has if it has gameplay that is more than holding X and pressing circle every once in a while, uh, it'll immediately like be something worth looking forward to. And it almost kind of looks like maybe what should I open this can of worms? Like what versus was going to be? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but it, it just it, I mean it's hard to really judge with a gameplay trailer obviously designed to sell the combat as effectively as it can. So. Uh, obviously, it's hard to judge until you get it right, you know, in your own hands. But it looks really flashy. It looks really fluid. I hope they have to like to like kind of tone down the effects, though. I think they are a bit much. Like I, I've like I'm fine if that's I heard like, you like particles. Yeah, like it, like it, there's there's a lot going on on the screen, and I, I for me, it's kind of hard to like keep up with like what everything what everything that's going on. So I hope there are like settings you can toggle, say like, hey, you know, tone down the effects, like much like what Monster Hunter Rise does, like. Like there are there are there's like a setting to like kind of uh, put down like the 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 hit effects in that game because it gets a bit much in multiplayer. And also, I also like think about things like Kingdom Hearts two, where he does like a lot of these flashy moves in the air, where it's like, how much control do you really have on that, or is it just pressing X a whole bunch? Press, press so the cool. It's the triangle button, man. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it looks really nice, looks really flashy, and we'll keep our eye on it. So hopefully now that it's returned, we'll uh, see it more regularly and maybe get a release window. This next game that I put on here is something that I put on basically kind of for myself. Uh, I don't think we'll have a lot to really talk about, but Dark Envoy, which is a game developed by Event Horizon, which made the CRPG Tower of Time a few years ago, uh, it was originally supposed to release last year. Now we got a new story trailer saying it's going to release next year. Uh, and alongside it, we'll add PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series versions. And since this is a isometric CRPG, it is kind of nice to know that it has those console versions like in mind at the start. Because with a lot of the games in this style of RPG, we've seen that like, the, our, the console ports come in later and sometimes they're uneven in terms of like how much effort's put into them to make them really playable with a controller or not. Uh, like for instance, like Baldur's Gate Five, sorry, Five Three, still doesn't oh, have <laughs> Baldur's, Gate, Baldur's Gate Three still doesn't have any announcement regarding console releases at all. So it is kind of cool to see these guys do it. Uh, I just watched this new story trailer that showed up a few days ago. It looks really interesting. Uh, Tower of Time is a game that I've wanted to get to, but I just never really made made space for it. So since since bigger studios like Obsidian might not be making these styles of games anymore. Like I'm interested to see like maybe this maybe Event Horizon can kind of like fill the space. So, I don't know, it looks really colorful, really good art style. So, kind of put this on here because I'm personally interested in it. But I don't know. I'm going to keep an eye on this one. Uh a couple a small footnote from a conversation we had either last week or the week before involving Delightworks. We talked about the in, uh, the impending shutdown of Sakura Kakume, but also we learned that Street Fighter's Yoshinori Ono 
has joined Delightworks after resigning from Capcom. So I don't know much about Ono or Delightworks to really comment on this. I don't know if you have any key takeaways on this, Josh. Yeah. Is this exciting or is this not? I can't believe that there's a possibility that uh, Ono will work on the new Melty Blood. Yeah, 100% will. You know, I mean, he's he's like uh, Delightworks is producing um, Melty Blood, the Type Lumina, the new one coming out. And with French Bread as the developers. But yeah, he's definitely involved with that. I imagine that's the main reason why. You know, uh, Ono took the spot as uh, the new CEO, COO of uh, the Lightworks. Um, it's a it's a weird time. Like you know, Ono's been at Capcom for freaking ever. You know, since like Capcom Fighting Jam and so on. Like he's been there, but like he's most attributed to like as for success. You know, for Street Fighter Four, um, he was the producer of that, and Street Fighter Four was a big deal back in the day. That uh, st- it arguably single handedly like saved the fighting game genre. Uh, back then because you know before street fighter 4 you know fighting games were like in a weird spot for the in the console space like you know street fighter 3 wasn't really all that well received it was a good game but it took it took time to get to be to be a good game you know it took like three versions to like become pretty good and you know um and oh no behind the scenes at capcom he really fought for capcom at that time like put out a new fighting game that you know like uh, let's go, let's go back to fighting games. Let's go put out a new fighting game. That's you know, Street Fighter Four, you know, came to be. Uh, so, uh, but I know, like it, it's kind of who, like who, who knows exactly, you know, like what Ono like has done ever since. Like I, he, I know he takes a lot of the blame for like the like the blunders of Street Fighter Five, and you know, Street Fighter Five is still is is a much better game today. But at at its launch, you know, it was very not well received because it it favored the you know, hardcore uh, competitive fighting game audience. Over the mainstream, so it launched like no single player. It was a very like you didn't really play it for single player content, which was like a big change from you know how the mainstream would like to consume Street Street Fighter and whatnot. So you know, the, and f- throughout all the Street Fighter Five's lifespan, for you know whatever happened in that game, whether it's characters, roster, balance changes, whatnot, like Ono always took the blame. He was like the front face of that. Uh, you know, because he was like the main marketing person of like announcing new characters, you know, get like riling up the crowd at fighting game events uh, and whatnot. So he's very well versed in that aspect of like, you know, how to uh, sell a fighting game and uh, how to be that public facing. Right. You know, right. And, you know, and a lot of the people who still who's working on Street Fighter five still work on Street Fighter five, even Ono has left. So, you know, and whatnot. So, you know, um, I, I imagine that's why. Oh no, has taken up the spot at the light works while the light works like maybe was sought him out, who knows? But since Melty Blood is getting this international release, not just a Japanese release, I think the light works is trying to position themselves as a you know, as a big publisher internationally, and they're hoping, you know, maybe Melty Blood will be the thing that will get them there. And oh no, hopefully, you know, it is in a has the capability to sell multi blood internationally uh to like a worldwide audience and we'll see where this goes you know who who knows at this point this, this is such a weird uh, a weird piece of tidbit news that's like tangentially you know rpg related but with you know between fgo being still super mega successful and sakura kakame being one of the biggest blunders in that movie being the opposite yeah it's just who knows? Hopefully this pays off. I want Melty Blood to be good. I really want it to, to, to do well, and I can't wait. But we'll see. We'll see. 
So the final bit of this podcast is going to that sales stuff I mentioned before. We have a lot of updates for a lot of games, some more interesting than others. We'll go through them. Uh, starting off with probably the most exciting of these announcements, uh, if a sales announcement can be exciting, we'll see. Uh, Monster Hunter Rise has surpassed 6 million copies sold. So it is, as far as I can tell, blowing through all expectations. This is all on a single you know, console. Obviously, one that's uber popular in Japan. It's found a new, you know, re-energized Western audience, potentially thanks to the success of World. Still has a pending PC release on the way. So, uh, is that the best, like the best Monster Hunter single platform sales has done sales by just on a single platform? I was just wondering that. Yep. As well, yeah. Okay. Wow. I remember um, if you look at Capcom's best-selling games, um, I believe this puts it into the top ten. And the only game that's a single platform game that has sold sold better than Monster Hunter Rise is Street Fighter Two, and <laughs> it's only like a couple hundred thousand off. Like it'll yeah. surpass it. <laughs> yeah, that's so. crazy. We just announced we just announced the five million mark three weeks ago, so it's got legs. Like we'll probably be revisiting in a few weeks with the with the next milestone. But I know I'll, I'll probably keep on coming back and back into it again when it gets as it gets new events. Like I, I guess I forgot to mention that earlier too when they announced like event quest coming back to Monster to Rise. Un- unlike unlike World which did like limited time event quests, like oh you'll have like two weeks or a month to do this quest. Like they're doing they're doing going back to the old ways with Monster Hunter Rise where you just download that event quest and it's always going to be available to you permanently, whether even if you're offline. We also got an announcement from Koei Tecmo about some of their milestones. Uh, Hyrule Warriors, Age of Calamity, has hit 3.7 million copies. And Atelier Ryza 2 has sold 360,000 copies. So I think that this basically means that Ryza 1 and 2 now have combined for a million total sales. Or actually, they did that last month. Uh, but now the last number for the for the last recorded number for Ryza 1 was 500,000 as of last year's August. But basically, this is kind of just a continuation of the story that we had before that Ryza both 1 and 2 has kind of like rejuvenated a little bit of sales fervor for the franchise, really kind of hit a wider audience. Uh, I wouldn't uh, even for say that I wouldn't even say that rejuvenated is the right word because these are like series record sales. So, okay, okay, I undersold it, but yes, Rise of Two is also doing. It's still under Rise of One for now, but it seems like it might be on pace. Depends on how how long the legs go on, yep. but both games have been doing really well. Uh, as for Age of Calamity, we already learned that when it sold like three million units within its launch week, that it was already like the best selling Warriors game. Uh, it's only up to 3.7 now, so maybe slowed a bit, but still it's got legs. Uh, this is after the holiday season, of course. Uh, still doing really well for both Koei Tecmo and Nintendo. And there's a there's a, a DLC coming too. Yeah, I was just about to say that. Like, it feels so long ago that they announced what the what that season expansion pass stuff was. It was only February. It feels like longer ago than that. Uh, but it's uh, we get the first like bonus weapon for that in like May, and then the and then the uh, first real pack is in June. So, uh, be interesting to see if that rejuvenates this game. But I don't know. It seems like people have taken really well to it. I played a tiny bit of this over the holiday break when I borrowed a, a family member's copy. So I don't think I I don't think music games are the, for me. But I don't know. It really does feel like they put a lot of love and care into like matching that Breath of the Wild aesthetic as kind of a carryover. As we wait for that second game to be revisited, 
anytime now. We'll see. We also got an update for Neo 2. Neo 2 has sold over 2 million copies. The series has sold 5 million in total. So obviously bolstered by the PC release for Neo 2. Uh, other than that, I don't know. Neo 2 is a really great game. My favorite of last year. I pushed for it to be in the top five for our site. You know, so really, really good you know, job here for, again, Koei Tecmo Publishing uh, and Team Ninja developing. And in, when Neo 2, the PS5 and PC version, was releasing a couple of months ago, it's pretty much all but you know stated in a press release that, that that seems to be the end of Neo for now. And it looks like what Team Ninja wants to do next is more uh, action. So maybe going back to Ninja Gaiden or something similar to Ninja Gaiden. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. I mean, after Neo, I trust them. They're back on track. Basically, mm-hmm. uh, Persona Five Strikers has sold 1.3 million worldwide. Uh, obviously, it just released a, a year late, quote unquote, for the West, just in February. Do we know what the sales were before the Western release? Last summer, it was around 500,000 for Japan and Asia. So another, so another 700,000 after the Western release. So. I don't know. It seems pretty good for a Persona spinoff. Obviously, having a PC release probably helped, but we don't really get like a formal breakdown about like what sold where. But strong showing there. Go ahead. Trying to convince people that's just not another Dynasty Warriors that they're familiar with. It's hard sell, man. It's hard sell. Well, also like when it shows up on consoles like the Switch and PC that can't play the base game. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah. a little bit interesting there. What else do we got? Uh, here's a Japanese milestone. Uh, Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne HD Remaster. That's quite a, a lot of words to string out. Has sold 250,000 units in Japan and Asia. Obviously, it's going to be releasing here in the West next this month. This month, it's May. <laughs> so uh, in, a few, in a few weeks. So it uh, looks like it had a strong start in Japan. We'll see if it carries over in the West where the main series hasn't obviously been as like fruitful as the persona series, especially so over here, it feels like the no lifetime sales of Nocturne, like on PS2 at all. It can't be that high. Like it's well beloved by the people who played it, but it wasn't like a hit. Yeah. I wonder if that, that, that statistic is out there somewhere. Didn't it get like a greatest hits uh, reprint in America though on PS2? Did it? Maybe. Maybe I'm underselling it. I felt always felt more of like a cult classic. Yeah, I'm not sure if we got a greatest hits. I, I'm I'm skimming the uh the uh Wikipedia page and the, yeah, Wikipedia I'm making some assumptions, but it looks like within a few years of release, Nocturne in Japan, the original PS2 version, sold two hundred and seventy thousand. So it sounds like the remaster is kind of in, in the same ballpark uh for Japan sales. All the people who see it it is going to be weird. Like all the Persona fans who jumped on with five, you know, are now Atlas fans might jump on with Nocturne, and it's there are similarities, but it's still pretty different. So, um, look, they said in the video, okay, they said in the video, the actors said, "Hey, that we that definitely Nocturne uh, inspired Persona Five for sure." Uh, Yes, that a hundred percent. Like that is absolutely 
you know, that, that is, I can't even finish this thought. <laughs> oh, I love that video. And finally, uh, record of Lotus were Deedlet and Wonder Labyrinth, which exited early access just a few weeks ago or a month ago, has sold 100,000 copies. So, pretty good for another smaller server. Yeah, uh, for that. Yeah, for smaller, smaller scale indie game on a property that's kind of niche. So, pretty strong showing there. And that's it for the sales rundown. So, basically, uh, when people are locked inside, they tend to buy video games. It's, it seems like. <laughs> what? No. So expect the now that things are slowly returning to normal, things are going to fall off a cliff, right? Hopefully not. <laughs> That's it. Video games enter another dark era. Yeah, I know a lot of that was very clerical, but the most most interesting one in there is just how I think we all kind of expected Rise to be successful, but I think it's like even when you have that expectation and it's still like doing better than you thought, just really kind of marveling at what they've done. I'm still at like the stupid point where like, and I don't think I'll ever get over this because of games like GTA Five that are just like, hey, this sold oh, like yeah. five bajillion, like six million is a massive number and a really big accomplishment, but it still doesn't register in my head. It's only when it gets to, like Animal Crossing levels, I'm like, oh wow, this game, this game's mm -hmm. doing quite well. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, also I saw some people. Uh, I should probably substantiate this a little more. I saw Jason Schreier of Bloomberg tweeting out a few stories today. I forget if it actually had a Bloomberg article on the Cyberpunk 13 million that we talked about last week or the week before. How in the eyes of some analysts, the, how that was actually like under expectations for that game because the, the tail of that has fallen off a cliff. Probably what is surprising you... that? Let me, let me check. 13? It's probably mentioned in, it's probably mentioned in that uh, fiscal year 20 report. Uh, but obviously, when Cyberpunk, you can't even buy on the PlayStation Store still, and like the negative word of mouth seems to have cratered the sales. It's it's just weird how we can talk about like, yeah, six million, great job, blowing, and then thirteen million in another breath is just nothing. It's just mm. just peanuts. It's a I flop. Remember, you know? remember that that uh, Tomb Raider reboot like sold like ten million, and Square Enix was like, nah. I think it wasn't more, more like five. <laughs> Or, well, yeah, was it five? I forgot. But Yeah, when the numbers get big enough, you like start forgetting. Anyways, it, The Witcher 3, as of last summer, had an estimated 28 million sold. Jeez. So, yeah, it's ridiculous. But unlike Cyberpunk, Witcher 3 had sterling critical and user reviews, tons of good word of mouth. And a you know, uh, Netflix uh, series. <laughs> yes, yeah, I have that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, is so, there like a uh, cyberpunk anime coming? Yeah, yeah that's cyberpunk like, anime. Not anymore. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> forgot about that. <laughs> I forgot about that too until you mentioned it. Like, oh yeah, well, maybe that's neat. I don't know. All right. Well, thanks for sticking with us as we went through this kind of weird week of grab bag news and some non RPGs that got us to play our PS5s again, but. We will be back next week, as we seemingly always are. You can read some of the articles that we talked about, such as our glowing poison control review up on the site at <laughs> rpgsite.net. If you click the link at the top of the page, you can go to our Discord channel, where we talk about Nier and Monster Hunter and all sorts of things. We do have a YouTube channel where they, all of these uh, podcasts get uploaded to at YouTube slash rpgsite.net. We also are, are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at RPG site or at RPG site net. Uh, but besides that, take care, stay safe, and we'll talk to you next week. And watch Nino Kuni 2's opening cutscene.